Enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. <laughs> this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together. This week, it's about sadness. Uh, every week, Tim and I get together. We talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classic down to that rare gem, calling you a cheese dick at the back <laughs> of your video store shelf. This week, oh my God, we thought it was dead, but it turns out nothing's ever really dead. Things rise from the dead all the time in horror movies. So if you got like a problem with us doing this movie and resurrecting it from the dead, maybe you're not really a horror fan at all. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, yeah, it, it was the, the last on Evil Dice tonight. We thought it was Dice forever, but yes. it's uh, come back alive. From 1999, it's The Sixth Sense. Tim, let's just get it out of the way. How many dead people have you seen? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So I, w- I won't rehash things for, for other viewers, but seen, um, that, that's the one thing that I'm always thankful of, <laughs> that I don't like ever, like I've, I'll be really scared. For example, literally today, I was um, doing like finishing up some research and I had I was kind of restarting the movie at the computer and I didn't realize that I had restarted it, but I had my headphones on and then I hear like the creepy music after like a full 20 seconds, (laughs) the score started playing and I'm like, oh, fuck. And I'm in a a huge empty building and was terrified. And the rest (laughs) of the research went very quickly. Let me just tell you that. But the thing is, I never like. I'll get a, a strong sense of fear or of of even a connectedness, but thank God I never like see anything. Like I never I never see anything out of the corner of my eyes. Now I will say this. Sometimes when you're really hungover <laughs> yeah. and you go to work and you just have the kind of like the spooks, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's like you're kind of nervous, you're kind of anxious. You're sort of overjudging yourself on how you appear to other people. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's I have had like some creepy moments that way um, where, like I've talked about before, I was at Menards and I had had no sleep and there was an adding machine in front of me and there was a glare on the uh, the black plastic, excuse me, the black plastic. And so somebody walked behind me. <laughs> so there was a shadow across that where there was a glare Yeah, for a moment. And I thought I saw a big giant rat. I'm like that's that's what I saw in my mind, and literally jumped back from a completely non rat like adding machine in, right. in, in in mortal fear. So um, yes, but thankfully, I when it comes to dead people, I haven't seen them. That that visitation, uh, while I have felt the presence of people uh-huh um those that actual visual visitation is more with family members of mine um that experience that with our other deceased family members yeah um but i personally have never had i've never had a visitation that i i wouldn't just prescribe to it being a dream okay i've dr- i've dreamt of of deceased friends and sure. family. We, we all do that 
but um, but never to the point where I felt like it was actually them visiting me. Yeah. So maybe I'm just not believing in it as much. Yeah. As or you're just not the family member anyone wants to come visit. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> like yeah, I could see that. Tim, but there's yeah. I got. He's like number eight on or the list. Or maybe it just goes by age. Like we're not to you yet. <laughs> right. Like we'll get there. Um, but it's my seniority here. Uh, so no, I I I can't say I've ever done that. I've had moments like like a lot of people have where they're grieving, where you might see a sign of something. Like um, I remember my aunt seeing a hummingbird at her window, and she thought that it was my cousin that had recently passed at a young age. Um, there are other people that have like, um, like if they find a a penny on the ground or something like that, they have, they, they sort of attach these visitations to these things that might occur on a regular basis. Uh, and I'm, there's a lot of scientific, (laughs) scientific or scientific, uh, explanation (laughs) for how that would not be what they might think it is. But I, I think people, uh, you know, if if you're grieving and you just need something, maybe you just need it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And But I, I know where you might be coming from on that, which is you might need it, and if that's what you've got going on, that's fine, but let's not then say that that's exactly what that is. Yeah. Man, Tim, you've just summed up uh, my life, my worldview right there in one sentence. Right. <laughs> you know what, though? I just recently saw a comedian talk about... um about like the existence of God. Yeah. And he's like, there are people that believe that God created the universe. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, is this Pete Holmes? Uh, is I, he the kind of like the, that doesn't make sense guy. Uh, he's, I guess he's just kind of like a kind of tall white guy. Uh, yeah, who's, dark hair. Uh, yeah. Kind of shaggy. looking. Yeah. 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 But with a baby face, that yes, guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Have you seen that? And he's baby? like, but the other side thinks it's nothing. And I'm like, nope, that's not, where he's, yeah, he's like, at least God's something. And I'm like, no one thinks anything came from nothing. Like, that is the worst straw man. But it's a funny bit, though. I, I, mean, get, I couldn't get past that part. Right, yeah. But uh, Your whole comedic premise is based on a straw man. I can't get into that. <laughs> but um, That's hilarious. I did just see that yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's easy. I, I kind of like that guy. Like, he's not he is like. Great. He's fine. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a fresh voice. Um, so, no, I, I can't say that I've, like, I've never. Uh, let's just say for for what you might be like hinting towards, like I've never like been in the mall and like thought that I saw like this dead person or or that what? dead person. So, really, I could have swore. So never, never. What a dumb question. Then, well, no, it really isn't because <laughs> well, I guess I th- it's not because I'm finally destroying every uh, <laughs> preconceived notion I've had about how you maybe have seen dead people. But no, I I think I like I said, sensing the presence of sure, maybe some like a. a I mean, sure, I, I've, I've done it myself. You know, a song comes on the radio or something like that, and I might think that that's influenced by uh, a deceased person right. or what have you. But actually seeing somebody, no. Um, I think in my in my thoughts early on, like early, early in the first stages of grieving, I I used to think about a friend that I thought was – speaking to me and but it was more like along the lines of daydreaming like like i was daydreaming him talking to me yeah um as opposed to uh you know actually seeing him um which thank god for that because that's that's where things would get pretty troubling you know um because yeah how do you how do you go about unless you're in my family how do you go about like explaining that to somebody like i just saw grandma you know and uh and she's not here anymore 
So, um, no, but I, 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 that would be a really interesting, like, I don't know if anybody, I don't have access to the email. I don't know if anybody actually does email to the show or yeah. not, but I would be interested to hear from listeners if anyone has genuinely experienced like a, a visual visitation that has actually taken place with a deceased friend or relative. Yeah. And hard evidence of yeah. it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Amazing how now has everyone has a camera, and yet we still have yet yeah. to capture. Nobody has an excuse anymore. That hard yeah. evidence, right? Right. Because everything I've learned from movies is ghosts only show up on recordings and pictures. So there's again no excuse. <laughs> right. No, that's the thing. I I I've had a lot of long talks about death and grieving and what people go through and what people will believe in and what what comforts them or what they believe is real. And, you know, I don't want to, how do I say this? Even if you didn't believe in, in somebody feeling like they had made a connection to somebody, it's almost kind of like, is this the hill I want to die on? Like, do I really want to upset what they're going, like they're going through the grieving process, (laughs) right? If they feel like they saw a hummingbird and that was their nephew, then why do you have to get in their face about that? Yeah. One thing in particular. Yeah. So it's not my place to judge. I like to think I would never do that. Yeah, not in that. Like if somebody was telling Unless I knew you very well. Right, Like exactly. if my brother was like, I saw a mom, I'd be like, shut up. You'd be like, well, she's still alive. <laughs> All right. But you, <laughs> so, in yeah, this well, scenario, yeah, where, she is dead. Yeah. Yeah. she come over to the house? Or, yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> I looked you're, out my window. Like, I get it. I should visit mom more. Okay. I, I, I'll get on that. Um, but uh, no, I... Um, I think that uh, I think that 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 what okay here's here's my point the gap between frequency of somebody actually seeing a dead relative versus the volume of people feeling like they've been visited or given a sign is is huge yeah and I think that a lot of people even people that wouldn't believe you know, in anything spiritual like that would say that they at one point or other felt the presence of, of some deceased person that they were grieving. Yeah. Now, now, now this is a great question for you then. If we're, if we're taking out like the, the seeing the person in, in your, and, and you don't have to get overly personal about it, but um, you know, whatever you're comfortable with, but have you, what have been your stages of of grieving? Do you feel like you're grieving more from what you would consider like a healthier, more clear-headed place where you're just like remembering good times? Or have you ever had moments where you like, even if you're not believing that the person is visiting you, but you're just like overcome with a feeling of a memory of that person? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to say because I really have not had besides like grandparents dying that whom I were not very close with, like yeah. probably, I mean, especially on my dad's side, there are a billion kids there and they were very standoffish. They were not like the fun grandparents that you want. Right. right. And, but then the ones that were the fun grandparents out of those four grandkids, I was like the least involved. Which I was there when my fucking grandpa was in the hospital. And like right before he died, he woke up. But I'd taken my daughter up to visit him. And I was like, oh, shit, he's awake. And I was like calling nurses in like he's trying to pull his catheter out. And then he died like an hour later. And my fucking cousins, I'm sure, like resent to this day. Like I was the one. one. Yeah, (laughs) I fucking hate it. But 
Um, so, you know, I mean, that was sad. That was, you know, of course I cried during that. And that was more a, I felt bad for my parents because they've lost sure. their parents. Um, but yeah, I haven't really lost a close family member. I've lost one close friend. And I mean, that was tough. I, it was harder than I expected it to be. Um, and yeah, I think it was more of a, I think it was a combo of, yeah, kind of the, that reminisce of the good times we've had. And then also like the regret of, I didn't spend enough time that I should have because it was someone I worked with and I had moved into the office and they were out in like the factory area. And so I just didn't see them as often and had, it was feeling it too. And then the, there's that awful moment. Then you get the call that they're passed and you're like, sure. well, now I can't do it now. I can't just go out and see yeah. them. Um, well, yeah, no, that, that, that is tough. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's something that I wrote in my notes and I promise that we're going to, hold off the emotion as long as we can but something that you said just kind of resonated with like and we have got to knock on wood whatever you believe in for this but at one point in this movie uh, i just said i don't want anybody else to die (laughs) because i realize if you think about it like i lost um there was a kid that i babysat for who his mother babysat me and then i babysat for him when he was born and he passed away at seven years old, and that was extremely tough for me. Um, there is my cousin who who died of an asthma attack when he was 28, Ooh. and my friend Julian who passed away uh, at that same age. So there have been those tough deaths um, that are really difficult, and the, the grandparents and great-grandparents and that sort of thing. But as I was watching this movie and thinking about things, you almost get a little, like, fearful because we're old enough now to where, you know, shit can happen. Yeah. And and it's like, I feel like I've had a pretty long stretch of that not happening. That it, it, it's kind of like in Jaws when, when uh, Quint says that he was the most scared when he was about to be rescued. Right. And so it kind of feels like. Now it's been such a long stretch. You should feel like, hey, like I'm doing pretty good. Like nobody's dying. And then you feel like, oh, shit, just by virtue of that, you know, things are going to happen. Now, naturally, there's going to be like I still like I have grandparents whose brothers and sisters are still alive. Yeah. So that'll happen. But they're I'm not overly close with them. So that'll be sad in its own way. But, you know, but it's like um, you mentioned that phone call like that is. That is the most surreal moment that you will ever have in existence when somebody extremely close to you, uh, you, you get a phone call that, that they've died. Yeah. I, I got the phone call from my grandma that my cousin had died. My cousin was just a couple years older than me when he was 28. And, um, and she told me, like, don't, it was in the middle of the day and I was at home and she said, don't. Tell your mom, like, don't don't call your mom and dad at work because that's just don't wait till they get home, you yeah. know. But I'm sitting there with the information, and I'm. <laughs> but what was weird was when she said, "Just doing Tommy, this," <laughs> yeah. When she said Tommy died, like, it was like I was thinking, like, is she talking about another one of my cousins or that? Like, it was like the whole world got like gooey for a yeah. second. And my Nancy thoughts. had that same when our friend died because his brother had had a pretty severe heart attack two months prior. Yeah, right. Uh, we were in Pittsburgh, and he had a heart attack on our way to see his Steelers game. Uh, so then when their third brother 
called and told her she's like no 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 you've got the wrong brother the yeah. other one and he's like no yeah uh yeah so that was very surreal and then yeah i got the call at work and it was like uh, like they sent me home immediately they yeah. were like just go home right well and you know what's really sad too is not that it was you know <clears throat> any any less sad or anything but when my mom because we called tommy tommy and the family calls me timmy and friends and so when some my of us mo- call you TT, yeah, TT, your good friends too. <laughs> yes, <right>. yes. <laughs> Professor is like desperately to you know trying to make a connection that I just throw up a brick wall to. Uh, but uh, but so my grandma had called me and told me that Tommy died, and then I called my mom, and that was uh, uh, what I heard on the other end of the phone was uh, I'd never ever want to experience that again. Um, but then my mom called my dad at the mill and she said, Tommy died and he thought it was me. Oh God. And so he, you know, reacts to that and it's like, thank God my son isn't dead, but my nephew is dead. And it was just, those times are so difficult and it's, it's probably for the best that we don't spend a lot of our waking moments talking and preparing for these things because <laughs> right. it would make life like horribly miserable. But 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 because we don't, when it does happen, you feel like you're like just trudging through concrete. Like it, like nothing makes sense. You can't wrap your mind around it, and um, it's it's like, yeah, there's no magic trick to it. Yeah. You know, the one thing I will say that I found interesting is that, and, and I don't know if this is your experience too, but when people are when there's a funeral for the person that's passed. Now, I've had examples where family members like Tommy's mom was uh, literally inconsolable. I mean, she was comatose, my aunt. Uh, she had sunglasses on, like in the, like in the oh. funeral home, just like black, black uh, dress, sunglasses, did not speak, did not move. Her only son died. Um, but there are other times where I've seen people where it's, I don't know if like the funeral directors tell them like you need to like serve, you you have to serve a purpose here. You have to aid people that come here in their grieving. Yeah. And I don't know that for sure, but it's like sometimes I've seen people just really rise to that occasion at a funeral where yes. it's like, like they're, they're, I mean, sure. They've probably cried themselves completely dry, but you know, they're there, they're there to hear what you have to say. They're there for you to cry on their shoulder. And it's just amazing what people can rise to in those moments. Yeah. I am kind of dreading that having to like, if like my, one of my parents dies and yeah. you have to stand up there right. and talk to people yeah. that I do not remember at all. <laughs> right. Like even if your parent did was alive and well and doing jumping jacks, you still wouldn't want to have to talk to all these right. people. <laughs> right. right. But, um, no, that's, that's a thing though. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, but I remember being a, a friend of mine, um, Shane, I his mom died, uh, just a couple of years ago and Shane was, you know, a party boy like me and, you know, like to have a good time, but at his mother's funeral, like he just was so stately and like, so warm and friendly. Like there was something in him that just was like, I've got to be here for these people. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm hoping that that happens for both of us when that time. Right. Comes. But I'm, I'm wondering about that as morbid as it sounds when your parents pass, I have to imagine that it kind of feels like the world just flips upside down. Like when the person that is responsible for your <laughs> existence, right. 
and that you've relied on for advice or whatever, whether you love them or hate them, like when that person's gone, the world has to feel different somehow. Yeah, I would imagine. Because they're the people who have been around, you know, a part of your life the longest, right. essentially. Um, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. No. I'm looking forward to the death of my wife's parents. <laughs> she knows. We it joke is, about all that. It's, a, Listen, it's an at this point, podcast. Everyone is. All right. They like. I feel like I uh, monkey pawed this one because when our oldest, our oldest was very close with them. So, oh. but they were still like. They're fucking old. They're in their 90s right now. I mean, they're a generation older than my parents. Like they had Nancy very late in in their in their life. So with how close my oldest was with them, I was like, please just like don't die while she's in high school. Like, I, you know, let her be an adult and that will make it easier for her. Easier for me as well. You know, (laughs) right. Right. Uh, And now they just I don't think we'll ever die. So. I yeah. may have made a mistake on that you, one. You, you now have to believe in vampires. Like, that's just a thing for you now. Um, no, that's true, though. And, you know, I, I will say, like, I don't know. I don't want to say that anybody should have a sell-by date. But it's like, I know my my native grandma, I am lucky to where I felt. I used to feel guilty for not visiting her in the last probably two years of her life. But her dementia had gotten so out of control that before she got moved into a home, my cousin, like my first cousin, who I was very close with, um, she chased her out of the house with a knife, like cool. was chasing her around the house with a, a brandished knife. Yeah. And um, that's not I mean, she was always feisty, uh, but never like that, never yeah. like wielding a weapon. <laughs> um, she was just, you know, sassy. Um, and, and I didn't know that. And I didn't know her when she couldn't recognize people anymore. And. I felt extremely guilty at the time for not seeing her, but in retrospect, I'm really glad that I didn't. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I have no memory of her, no no visual memory of her being like that. Yeah, and I think that's the better way to go. Now it's depressing. If yeah, I mean, God dang, like it. Maybe it's just again more like a prevalence of medical science, but it's like, did everybody have dementia like 40, 50 years ago? Or did people just smoke enough to die? Before, yeah, we're not should. supposed to live this long. I mean, <laughs> right. it's stupid That's... medical science <laughs> right. torturing us. Go back to the day. I once saw a, I've mentioned this on the show before, a magazine article advertising camel cigarettes. And it was saying that you should have a cigarette between every course of a seven course meal. <laughs> Which is fantastic. That's got you dying when you should. Right. Yeah. That's doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but everybody's got a fucking jog these days. Um, so I'm not, not Tim. Not. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm rebelling. You're gonna die at just the right time. Oh man. Uh, My no. kid is now just uh, getting to the like maybe realization. She's like, I'm afraid you're gonna die from your belly, and I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've been saying that for years, and everyone's always like, "No, we like your belly; it's cute." Here, we're gonna get donuts, and I'm like, "Stop! I can't control myself. I will eat those." Well, why? Did- and now all of a sudden, they're like, "Oh God, you might die from how fat you are." I'm like, "No shit!" Well, why did why did science have to pick on that? It's like, <laughs> how does it? How is it so specific? 
that it's like the one, like I'm relatively healthy. Like anybody could say, you could say, anybody could say, I'm relatively healthy, but they're like, there's a specific waist size. <laughs> like if you're over size 40, you are just dancing on death's door. Right. Like how did the, how did waist size play into this? But I guess it does. <laughs> Where are you hearing that? Literally. Oh no. I'll look all, look at any, if look up um, like chances of like heart attack, stroke, anything like that yeah. with waist size over 40. It's a thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, that I can believe. I'm not even there yet. Right. I so totally believe that. You yeah. Live forever. No what? No thin person has a waist size of forty. <laughs> right. But they still die. Yeah. So they're just you know. True. But probably rebels. not from avoidable. Like it's rarer that you die from avoidable things yes. like uh, heart failure. Sure. Cholesterol. Right. So why do they got to make <laughs> fucking carbs taste so good? <laughs> That's the God problem. Damn. I know. Um, I, you know what? I it's think. like, it's like the first thing we invented as far as food goes. <laughs> Can I just tell you that I've been absolutely like, I'm just going to come out and say this. I've been obsessing over the fucking jelly omelets oh. since you said it. And I still can't figure it out because there's no cheese. There's just eggs and jelly. Am yeah. I right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's like, even... you know, when you fold an omelet, you put a line of jelly in there and then fold it over. It's not mixed in. <laughs> It's, it's so like, weird. yeah, yeah. Very uh, weird. I've, I haven't, I, there hasn't been like a six hour stretch that I haven't thought about that since <laughs> you said it. Um, so maybe we'll have to try those sometime uh, now that we're eating on the show. Um, Should there be some sort of uh, op- going back a little bit, a little like Oppenheimer movie about the guy who invented bread? Yes. And it's just like, I think I've done the wrong thing yeah, here. I am the destroyer of worlds. <laughs> I am the expander of waistbands. Uh, no, that's true though, because it's like it's like how is Just all the of this? Scene they're looking in the oven. And they all have the goggles on. Yeah, <laughs> is it slowly rising? Yeah, you and I standing off on the side, and you being like, "See, they do have bread risers. People have these." Um, remember that episode where we were yeah, talking about proofing drawers? Yeah, we were trying to figure out what a convection oven was first. And then you you were like bread rising ovens, and I'm like, yeah, all of those that exist. Um, but apparently they do. Um, but no, that's that is tough though, dude, because it's like pretty much like people will say, oh, you need some carbs, and you do. But literally, like you could go the rest of your life and never eat another piece of bread or pasta, and you're probably going to be way fucking better for it. Sure. I'm There's not going so to though. Much of it though. <laughs> carbs are uh, in everything. And you know who you know who's complicit sauces, whoever invented sauces, like even if I even if I could get away from the noodles, you just pull me right back in. And there's probably the sauce is delicious. How do I eat it? You got to put carbs in it. Right. And they're like, guess what? There's flour in the sauce, too. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking evil bastards. Um, Yeah, we're definitely off topic. Okay, well, let's get back on it. I'm going to. Go to the bathroom? Yeah, I am going to go to the bathroom real quick. I'll do the little Wikipedia stuff while you do that. All right, go ahead. All right. So while Tim pees, we're going to talk about The Sixth Sense from 1999. This was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It stars Bruce Willis, Joel Haley Osment, and Tony Collette. It had a budget of $40 million. Kind of hilarious we're doing this on the heels of The Exorcist. Because we were like, wow, that movie made $440 million. This might be the most successful movie we've ever covered. 
Uh, and then this movie had a box office of $672 million. So that was um, better than The Exorcist by a lot. So let's do Nan some, and then we'll get into some spoilers. There's only one in this movie, so it's fine. Uh, Malcolm Crow is a renowned child psychologist living in Philadelphia who's attacked one night by a former patient named Vincent, frustrated that Malcolm has never helped him. Months later, Malcolm begins working with a new patient, a nine-year-old boy named Cole, who lives with his single mother. Cole reminds Malcolm of Vincent, and he becomes determined to not make the same mistakes again, pledging to help Cole no matter what, even if it begins to put a strain on his marriage. What Malcolm doesn't understand is that Cole has a special ability that's hard to diagnose. He has the ability to see and interact with the spirits of the dead. Feeling isolated and risking ruining his relationship with his own mother, Cole confides in Malcolm his gift and how it has plagued his entire life. Hesitant to believe him at first, Malcolm returns to recorded sessions with Vincent and hears strange whispers uh, recorded uh, on the recording. I don't know what I wrote there. It's something weird. Malcolm theorizes that maybe the spirits are coming to Cole for help, so the two set out on a trip to visit the family of a recently deceased girl who came to Cole in the night. Will Cole be able to fulfill his destiny of helping the dead, or will he recoil and be consumed by the sixth sense? Um, I do want to take this opportunity to tell a joke that our friend Eric wrote. It's one of my favorite jokes, and it goes like this. You know, a lot of people, um, if you hear stories about Helen Keller, there are a lot of like kind of stories people don't talk about where she did she uh, people would say that she did have premonitions of the future and maybe could talk to those who are recently deceased a lot of people said that she had a fourth sense <laughs> it's one of the <laughs> best jokes ever yeah and it's I, I, he tells it so much better than yeah, i do but. it's so good <laughs> it's such a good yes. joke. <laughs> you know the weirdest thing about her was that i read somewhere that she was racist and i'm like how <laughs> it's just where you yeah. know you grow up around right. it <laughs> i guess so um yeah i see cheese dicks uh <laughs> all the time um yeah i uh i see dead people not titanic i use that joke on facebook oh. I, I i had to yeah i kind of shot my wad early on facebook but um but yeah did you see this in the theater no no all right i was one of the oh I'm gonna tell <laughs> 10 you. people who didn't see it in the theater <laughs> right i was one of the 80 million people who rented it in 2000 oh wow yeah 80 million and like i've said before rented it i was kind of trying to pick the part where bruce willis uh let's just can we let the cat out of the bag? Um, <laughs> sure. Bruce Willis uh, is dead in the movie um, for the most part all along after he shot. And the person that I was watching it with said it. And I want to say, as I was tracking it this time, it was probably within the first 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> and I don't know how they got it, but they just did. And then that just kind of, I don't want to say it ruined the movie for me because I enjoyed watching it a second time. Yeah. And I enjoyed like trying to find if it might've tripped up anywhere in, in overexposing that. What's so crazy about this dude is that they literally had an entire fucking world fooled. But then when you watch it a second time, you're like, how obvious is this? <laughs> like, oh, thing. my God, you'd have to be an idiot not to know that he's dead, um, which that just goes to show how good it is. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about 
a really, really, really well-made film for all of the like bits and um, you know anecdotes that we can talk about with this movie. It's just really beautifully executed. I'm going to go so far as to say that at least at one point in time, M. Night Shyamalan might have been, might have been, I'm not going to say completely, but maybe the most worthy successor to like a Spielberg as far as storytelling. Yeah, he was on the cover of Time Magazine. Yeah. Labeled the new Spielberg. Oh, is it really? Okay, oh, yeah. I, I would see that. I, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great minds, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I he, he really... And you were both wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah, apparently we are, yeah. <laughs> very, kind of jumped the gun very on Very wrong. But you know you know what's funny, though? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just cite this one aspect of this movie, and then, you know, I'm going to talk about uh, M. Night Shyamalan and all that good stuff and these actors, and, and we're going to talk about these great performances, which really are pretty much the backbone of this movie. Uh, absolutely. So, but, but before I do that, I have to say this. I think that the hugest achievement of this movie, and this is this is going to sound so crazy because it's not the Bruce Willis thing or whatever. This movie establishes itself completely in its story of this boy that's seeing dead people and, um, you know, uh, Bruce Willis's character and all of those dynamics. And then in the goddamn middle, so expertly, like, shoehorns in this middle story kind of exposing how this child's gifts can be used for good. Yeah. The, do you know how fucking hard it is to like set that trajectory and then say, we're going to hop off that track and we're going to go to him actually using his powers and bring in this girl that we have not heard of right. at all. And all of a sudden go to a different location and get invested in what the atrocity that is that's happening uh, with how this girl is being poisoned by her mother and then hop back onto the original train and it's all seamless. Yeah. That to me is like, how do you fucking do that? Because there's so many times that we're like, like, you know, you'll watch a movie and you'll be like, this just came out of nowhere. Like, <laughs> right. I, I can't yeah. be All of a sudden to... he's on a bus. Right, exactly. But, but it, it's... I guess my my overall point is just that uh, for all of the bitching that we do about execution, here we have that rare marriage of really cool idea and the execution matches. Yes. Yeah, I was worried because I had not I, I had seen this movie a ton. It was one of the first movies I owned Did you on see DVD. It in the theater. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because it was. I mean, I remember we were actually on like vacation with my parents. My parents took us all on a vacation. And so we were gone the weekend this came out. And I remember sitting because I was like obsessed with box office and just like hmm, the general business of movies at the time. And I remember like getting a newspaper to see what the box office was over the weekend and being like, holy shit, the Sixth Sense movie made like $60 million. No way. <laughs> I'm like, it might have even made more now that I'm thinking about it. I can't remember specifically, but it was it was a big number for the for 99. Definitely. Um because Spider-Man was that was the first movie to break a hundred million on a weekend. Yeah. The first this the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man. And that was two years later still. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like sixty it might have been even up to eighty. I don't know. Somewhere within that range. And I was just like, holy shit, you gotta be kidding me. And then people were talking about the this great twist, and you're like, Oh, there's a twist. I like a twist. <laughs> so yeah, we I mean, loved Bruce Willis at the time. 
So yeah, I went and saw it and I was fucking blown away. Did not see that coming at all. Even like as they're spelling it out, I'm like, wait, what? Oh my God. Right. Uh, yeah. When the wedding ring rolls down, I was like, you could hear murmuring and I'm like, uh, what's going on? <laughs> what am I not getting? <laughs> um, yeah. It wasn't until she's like, why did you leave me? I was like, oh. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and then, yeah, great reveals. Yeah. F- what a fun experience. And then, so yeah, going back and what, so then I hadn't seen it for a long time. And then probably, it's probably been like 10 years since I've really watched it. And then going back and watching it again, it, there was a fear, like, especially now seeing a lot of M night's movies and being disappointed in a vast majority of them. Just kind of being like, oh, man, was I wrapped up in something? But, man, watching this, it's like, it's so good. And it is the performances. Like, you can, it's not as bad as a lot of his other scripts, because a lot of his scripts are just really fucking Mm -hmm. ham-handed. And the lines are, I would say, hard to deliver realistically. Yeah, But when you get a guy like Bruce Willis, who for you know whatever you think of his career choices uh is a good actor i mean Absolutely. he's never really been as celebrated as he should um because he just did a lot of like weird genre stuff like no one's like great job in that action movie here's your oscar right uh but then he's but he has the versatility to then do a movie like this where he's like i'm just gonna sit stone cold faced yeah. for two hours and yeah. be the most compelling thing you've ever seen <laughs> um so yeah him Haley just being able to get the kid that no kids ever good. There are five good child performances ever. <laughs> right. Uh, we've covered two of them in a row now. Um, and, and then having the icing on the cake is Tony Collette, who at the time you're just like, wow, good actress. But in retrospect, I mean, I think Kate Blanchett's probably the best working actress today, but Tony Collette is in that photo finish. Sure. With her. I sure. mean, and then, and then learning she was 25 when yeah, she did dude. this, which is like, what the fuck? So, um, yeah, perfect storm of a perfect cast, a probably his best script. Um, and yeah, I don't know if it was just he was hungry as a filmmaker, but there are a lot of visual things in this that I, I you know, I think he tried replicating again, but just don't hit like this. I mean, there's even just one shot of these statues as the sun comes up yeah kind of a time lapse but the the score under that like is so effective yes and in any other movie i'd be like what is this yeah no it's great (laughs) but it works so well in this movie well and that's in and it's something that i will struggle until you know for every time i mention uh it on this podcast when you talk about uh m night Shyamalan in this film or spielberg in most of his films there is that, for lack of a better word, like cradling of the audience in how the story is put across, like in the filmmaking and part of it, of course, part of it's the cinematography. But I, I mean, th- that sort of talented hand, that deft hand at presenting the story to you in a way that would be like, you know, somebody just blank, like blankly reading out of a book or it would telling you a a bedtime story or somebody like doing the voices and that sort of thing. Like they are the equivalent to that, like 
energetic, magical storyteller. And he really had that magic in this movie. Mm-hmm. He really did. And you're right. It's not over the top. See, that's the problem. The one thing I was really wary of, now granted it's 99, but man, going back, there's a lot of stuff that I thought was good in the 90s that was not. Because I don't think that directors or movie makers were trusting their audiences yeah. in the 90s. A lot of it is really fucking spoon Like what? Like what? Gotta- well, I'm trying to think of an example, but it's like, Sometimes we'll go back and watch 90s movies and it just feels like they're they're giving us more than we have to have. Yeah. I feel like as we got into the 2000s, they started to trust the audience more to be able to do movies where like we don't have to give you everything. We don't have to go in for the sugary, syrupy sentiment, you know, we can just trust you to to get there on okay. your own. And and I'll I'll think of some examples, but I I I know that in my heart that that's kind of a thing. And I, I guess that there's a thing to the to the 90s where it's like you could have gone a little further. Now, there are movies that defy that, like Pulp Fiction <laughs> right. or, or you know, um, anything else. Well, that's like, what I was thinking of all those clones, like Pulp Fiction I guess, clones. I guess, you know, if, if I if I'm being honest, like if I went probably, back and watched things to do in Denver when you're dead, would I like it as much? Well, I guess what I'm saying, it's probably more in the horror genre. OK, that that they were just, um, I don't know, timid. Okay. Um, things things got they backed off a lot. Um, I feel in the intensity, um, and so, but what? Yeah, but what's great though is that the emotion. That's that's the real thing. Like from what you're saying, and you've seen a lot more of M Night Shyamalan stuff. But I will say this as a sort of like a, from a personal note, the the sort of level of intensity that I go for as an actor in emotion. Um, could conceivably slip into indulgent, like mm-hmm. somebody might think that. But I'm just, I'm just really going for something raw and real. And I'll tell you, this guy seems to capture real raw emotion. Speaking of that car scene at the end, um, or that one scene in um, in Lady in the Water with Paul Giamatti realizing that he's the 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 medium, like the, the connector. Yeah. He, M. Night Shyamalan is able to display emotion on screen in that way that just makes like your jaw drop, like you're just frozen. Um, and and I th- I think it's beautiful for that. And so I I don't know. I wonder if that dude's best work is ahead of him. And I don't know what he would need to do to get there. M. Night Shyamalan? Yeah. No, it is not. <laughs> yeah, but if he's touched this greatness before, like if he could just let go of himself a little bit. And I mean, you don't, I mean, still a young ish guy, right? Well, I mean, yeah, 50s. I guess he was, yeah, he's probably in his yeah, how 40s, 50s. Good question. So I, I don't know. I just, you can't, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like he's been given ample opportunity to show us that he's still got this. And I think he's shown that he's not as bad as his worst films, but I think he's, I think he just kind of struck gold with, I mean, his first three that because I loved Unbreakable um, and I did like Signs. That seems to be one where people either hated it or liked it. I know that's hated Signs. I know that's the thing. But yeah, there are a lot of I will read that oh, like, I oh, signs. That movie. I loved it, too. And even though like that twist was awful. And I love that's Mel- another one where it's like, oh, you don't need to do a twist, man. Just right, like no. do it normal. And I love Mel Gibson, but uh, I really do. But man, is Mel Gibson good in that oh, movie? I mean, Lord, my God, that dinner scene is oh. <laughs> so good. But that's one of those moments yeah. where he's able to capture that raw 
yes. emotion uh, and where – I mean, they a lot of his good emotional scenes seem to be people not knowing what to do. Right, yeah. Which is which is what real emotion feels exactly, like. Exactly, exactly. So just to give a little background, uh, he was born in India, but he uh, – to uh, both of his parents were um, doctors. Um, and they came to the U.S. when he was like six weeks old. So – uh, really raised in the in the U.S. in Pennsylvania, um, and uh, no, I'm sorry, was he in Pennsylvania? Yeah, I think it was Pennsylvania, and um, super duper smart, like won all kinds of scholarships and awards when he was in school. I I, I tried to pinpoint what school he was in. Apparently, he went to all the schools. Yeah. Like he just NYU, Tisch, like you name it. He was oh, he was all over the place, um, and he made 45 short films by the time he was 17. <laughs> Uh, and I guess now you would know this. We were talking about DVDs earlier. Apparently, he, with the exception of Lady in the Water, uh-huh. he always includes in the DVD one of his short films oh. as an extra that he feels is sort of like a spiritual companion. Oh, to okay. The feature. Oh, so, I, no, I didn't uh, know that. So that would be interesting to check out. Um, his first feature film he made when he was at NYU, and and it didn't make a lot of noise. His second one had some stars in it but it tanked to the tune of millions of dollars but he was was, was that first one was that like a a studio release well, i don't know i don't know if it was a studio release but it wasn't a short like it, okay. I mean, it was a full length oh okay film. okay um and then but he kind of kept himself afloat by having some successful writing credits Stuart little um even there is like kind of like a goofy TNA comedy or like teen comedy that he co-wrote or like ghost wrote. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't think of which one it is, but I mean, oh. you've, you've heard of it. Um, it and then uh, that kind of kept his career afloat. And then came the sixth sense. Um, so this is, you want to talk about dumbass moves. Um, <laughs> oh, so you've got the president of production at Disney and he gets a hold of this script and he loves it. And he's like, I am wasting no fucking time. I'm going to pay you. Th- oh, she's all that. Is that what yeah, you're talking yeah. about? Maybe oh, that's okay. what I'm thinking of. What? He wrote she's all that? Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Oh, he so, did rewrites on it. Or did, yeah, but it was, yeah, it was like an excessive rewrite. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so anyhow, <laughs> this guy, this David Vogel, uh, bird in German, um, he, uh, he loved the, the script. He paid for it, but he kind of circumvented the normal channels of doing that uh, because he just didn't want anybody else to get it. He's like, if anybody else reads this, they're going to snatch it up. I'm going to buy it. Disney's like, you didn't do the right thing and you're fired because you made a horrible decision to buy the rights to the sixth sense. sense. (laughs) So he gets fired and Disney sells the production rights to spyglass media group, but they maintain the distribution rights and 12 and a half percent of the profits. Okay. So they're like, yeah, you fucked up, but we know this is pretty good. <laughs> right. But so, now I read it. and uh... <laughs> Yeah. Sorry about that old firing thing. Um, and then, um, so speaking of the casting a little bit, uh, Shyamalan felt that it, what he really was envisioning for this character was kind of more like a, like a loner kid that you saw that on the surface. Like, you know, whatever uh, stereotype you're thinking of, dark hair, brooding. Um, you know, sallow looking like, so Osmond wasn't really fitting that type, but he got the role for three reasons. 
Uh, one, he was the the best for it. <laughs> like that was he just he conveyed the the vulnerability, the um, the emotion of it. There was one kid that they had read for it. I don't remember who it was. Pretty famous, and he just totally misread the whole thing. And he was like, "I see dead people." <laughs> like. <laughs> super excited about it like thinking that was the uh, yeah movie. and they're like no fuck you and the other the reason- disney movie oh i yeah, gotcha i right. gotcha yeah um so uh also osmond was the only one to wear a tie to the audition oh that was another thing and when he came into the audition Shyamalan said um hey have you had a chance to uh to read your part and Osmond said, uh, yeah, I read it three times last night. And he's like, wow, that's really great. Like, you read your part three times last night. And Osmond <laughs> said, no, I read the script three times. Oh, <laughs> and he's like, well, fuck. Okay. <laughs> and uh, then gave the performance that he did. And I'll tell you, I was really watching. Like, I wasn't gunning for Osmond or anything like that. But I was like, "Is I you want to knock could, a kid. I, I get it. You want to knock a kid down a peg. <laughs> Be like, people are just being nice. I'm like, is he like, is he overly pretentious in this? But he really isn't. I mean, because if you were a kid, well, here's the thing. Nobody can judge. If you were a kid that had this ability, oh, what would that kid be like? I don't know. <laughs> right. right. So, I mean, he does. He's compelling. I don't think that he's. I don't think he plays it as too indulgent. I think he just plays it really honestly, which mm-hmm. is the best thing you can do, which is how a kid would be about it. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Tony Collette, I did not know. Sorry, Kate. Uh, I did not know that Tony is Australian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, also to pull off this accent is pretty <laughs> right. impressive. Yes. So, she was in a ton of Australian TV uh, shows and movies. Because she was in uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Was she? Yeah. Which okay. is where, because when she auditioned for this, um, like they were just kind of looking for a normal mom, right? Yeah. Like there was not really the, 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 the intricacies weren't there yet. And I think for her last audition, she was like, mm, I'm not feeling like the blonde. Cause she was blonde. I think she normally oh. is blonde. Um, but so she grabbed one of her Priscilla wigs and put <laughs> it on and they were like, Oh, that's like great. And so then once that was established, like she went out and like essentially bought pieces for her character. So like a lot of the, you know, she was just like hit some resale shops and completely reinvented this character. Oh my I mean, God. there's a good fucking actor for I you wanna, right okay, there. I want to, I'm going to piss real quick. I want to talk about that <laughs> specifically. Cause I didn't realize that but there's something specific that I want to talk about in that, but just while I'm gone, cause I, cause you've, you've been mentioning her since this movie <laughs> yeah. has come up for the last like week or so. So tell me a little bit about what it was in her performance that affected you so much. Uh, you know, I think it was the honesty of it. There is something about, um, you know, the, the trope of the single mom and I think she doesn't, you know, she doesn't rely on it too much. I'm pretty, I'm sure that's what the character was before. Just kind of this single mom that can't understand her kid, you know? Uh, but the way, the, the thing that I really liked about her performance is the way that she conveys the frustration of when you have a kid, because we've got a, you know, our youngest has uh, anxiety and depression and it was affecting her while she was young, but it affects you physically. And so if you can't figure out what's wrong with your kid, like that is one of the most helpless feelings I've ever felt. 
and her just the way she manages it uh where she can like knows the right times to tamp it down in front of her kid like i mean yes you eventually get to a point where she's like i fucking can't do this anymore like Mm. i've had it uh but a lot of great moments just in that opening scene where she goes into the laundry room comes back out and all the uh cabinets are open (laughs) you know and the kid's like are you mad at me and you know the great you know the look at my face like that's a great parental coping line like yeah of of course i'm not like no matter what you do i'm never i'm not going to turn on you you know and and absolutely the but i'm i'm thrilled to hear because i did not know that that she kind of sort of redesigned the look and the aesthetics of the character what i really like about her then i'm going to say this in the the least objectifying way that i can that I I like a I like a woman like this like I like you know where she, yes she's a single mom but she's you know still trying to like look put together maybe she's some might people might consider like a little rough around the edges maybe she doesn't dress like a like a button down soccer mom like she's got a little bit more flash oh yeah she's got a little um, Peg Bundy in her yeah. And she's got this gr- really great hair, which is like um, kind of like a Marilyn Monroe, like big sloppy curls, but it's red. But she's still like, and, and this is the thing, like not to go off on a tangent, but I, I don't think that women that are like, maybe if they're even built a certain way, like they shouldn't have to relegate themselves to say like, well, I can't wear that thing because if I wear it to like a dress up function, it's going to be too revealing. Like if you've got big boobs, <laughs> like if you get that shirt and it fits around your body the way that it's supposed to, and you're like popping out of it, like you, that's no shame for you. That's just your body. Yeah. And I, I like it when, you know, some people might say like, oh, it's, it's dressing slutty or whatever. It's like, no, it's, she just hasn't given up on herself. Yeah. Like we don't hear about her dating life. We don't really, do we hear anything about his dad whatsoever? Uh, no, not really. I mean, just kind of, but we get the, but, but, but by her not being the mom, by her not being the mom in Babadook, Uh she's like the opposite (laughs) end of the spectrum where it's like, I got this kid, you know, he's, he's got some struggles, but I'm still a young woman and I haven't given up and I'm just trying the best I fucking can yeah. to, to do it all and, and, you know, hold it all together. So I think she's wonderful in that. And the accent is fine. It's just sort of a, like a nondescript, relatively light to medium East coast accent, yeah. which works. Um, and she comes across as, uh, as, really likable that way. Like I, I, there's a certain like toughness to her. Um, but that it, it's almost more endearing when someone is sweet and they have kind of a tougher exterior. Oh, yeah. And so when we see that from her, oh. we just really, feel her like, when she calls the parents and is just oh. like, yeah, I'd like to talk to you about your kids keeping the goddamn oh. hands off my child. Like oh. it's so it, like so measured and calm where yeah. you're like, okay, I will yeah. go beat my kid for you right yeah. now. In her <laughs> mind, she is just scalping those fucking kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, that's, you're right. That, I love that scene. Um, and uh, so Bruce Willis <laughs> Also good for another reason, because I had never even heard that this movie existed, but it's the Broadway brawler, which was an absolute catastrophe. Is that a real movie that was released? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. A real movie, not released. 
huge budget movie for Disney, Bruce Willis starring and kind of given a little bit too much creative control. Uh And he fired the director. Millions lost. So they said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to do three movies for us, and you're going to do it at a reduced salary. He was at $20 million at the time. He did this for 10 Wow. This, this movie was literally him just paying back money. Wow. For that. And I mean, so it's kind of like, here, you have to do, you have to do the success, <laughs> you know? And it uh, turns out it was just one of the best movies of all time. But yeah, this is literally him paying Disney back for that failure. Wow. Um, so you've got that. And um, he did it. And it was the it was the largest you were talking about box office largest Labor Day weekend gross until 2007 when Rob Zombie's Halloween kicked its motherfucking ass. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding, uh, but it's true. <laughs> but no, huge, huge gross um, in both films, just neck and neck. Wait, uh, that was 2007. Yeah, all right, that's what I can't I can't handle this man. The fact that those two movies were only eight years apart, but now it's been. 15 years since I know. Fuck this. I was like, I just watched The Social Network and I was like, fine, I'll watch that Facebook movie I don't want to watch. And I'm like, this fucking thing's 13 years old. Yeah. Oh, I never saw that. Are you talking about the, what's it called? The Social Network. Yeah, yeah. Was that any good? It's phenomenal. Really? I resisted watching the Facebook movie forever, dude. It is so. Good. And it's David Fincher. So you're like, David Fincher yeah, did this movie? Yeah. So good. I mean, there is, uh, you know, there is obviously some pad- dramatic padding. Yeah. Uh, there's a really good, oh, there's a really good uh, device. Because the, the the movie is kind of, it's it opens with him. If I can go to quick David Fincher social network tangent. <laughs> uh, I, I did like the, the device of where like at the beginning of the movie, it's him with his girlfriend and he's trying to, he's talking about what he can do to get into these. Cause they don't have really have fraternities in Ivy league schools. They're clubs like final, they're called final clubs. We have a friend, Dr. Brian went to Princeton. Those were eating clubs. I don't know if there's a difference between eating clubs and final clubs. Don't care. Yeah. Never want my kid to go to an Ivy Is league this school. Like the skull and bones. Kind, eh, of thing? kind of, but more public. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's their version of fraternities. Yeah. Um, and so he eventually, you know, his girlfriend is just like, you are, she's like dating. You is like dating a stairmaster. Like you're exhausting. <laughs> and I just want you to know, like, you're going to go through life thinking people don't like you because you're a nerd, but it's because you're an asshole. Wow. And so he goes home that night. Now this part is real. He is blogging. He had just broken up with this girl and he was like blogging and then came up with this site where they were comparing. He like, hacked a bunch of databases and got everyone's picture and then put up this rogue site of pick like between the two of the hotter girls. Okay. So that, that was essentially the start of Facebook. So that part's all real, but this, this breakup is not really real. I thought he stole it from those two brothers. Well, that, that he did too. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that part of Facebook, just, that was kind of his, I'm really good at computers. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, but so, and there's even a point halfway through because the guy who starts Napster, uh, Sean, yeah. whatever his face is, yeah. gets involved, played brilliantly by Justin Timberlake, of all Fuck people, yeah. fucking rules in it. Oh. Um, and, and Justin Timberlake, there's a great part where, you know, he's like, what's the who's that girl you're with? She looks familiar. And so he tells him this whole story about the guy who started um, 
Victoria's Secret and then he like sold it for four million dollars and then within two years it was worth four hundred million dollars and he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and he's like is that like an analogy he's like oh my girlfriend's a Victoria's Secret's model that's why you know her <laughs> Um, but he tell, uh, I guess that wasn't the story I meant to tell. He tells a story about how he started Napster to impress a girl or to pull a girl away from another guy wow. to be like, look what I can do. And Zuckerberg's like, do you ever think of that girl anymore? And he's like, fuck no. <laughs> Why would I? Uh, right. But then the end of that, of the social network, because it's intercut with like the deposition that he went through. He got sued by the Twinklevoss twins, Winklevoss twins. Sorry, not Twinklevoss. Uh-huh. Winklevoss twins and like his best friend who he started it with that he completely just shut out of the company. Yeah. Um, so he sued by both of them. So the very end is at the end of the deposition. Everyone's gone home and it's him. He gets on Facebook, finds that his ex-girlfriend from the beginning friend requests her. And then he just sits there and keeps refreshing to see if she's wow. accepted his friend request. Great, great so dramatic do, vehicle. <laughs> so does it, so, and we, I promise we'll get back in six months, but I just got to know. So it does not paint Zuckerberg in a good light then? I mean, not really, I, but. Well, let me ask you this one. I'll, I'll make it real simple. For him to have, if there was some borrowing of ideas there, is he, is there some credit to go to him for some part of making it what it was. Oh yeah. Or absolutely. Was he just stealing everything. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, he kind of stole the idea from, and he settled with the guys for like $65 million or yeah. something stupid. Um, Cause yeah, they, they came to him and they were like, listen, we've got this idea based on the prestige of having this Harvard.edu email uh, and then it's a site just for people with Harvard email addresses. And so that's how Facebook started was it was just in schools. Like you had to be invited and have the domain of the school as your email address in order to join the website. Did What year did you join Facebook? Uh, that probably would. I don't know. Like, oh, five ish, I would guess. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, phenomenal movie. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I, I, I'm, no, I'm sorry. Glad, I'm I just glad. watched it. And I was so surprised at how, and I've had no no one has seen that movie, so I've had no one I to talk to about it. About that, I I like really wanted to see it. Yeah, and so well, yeah, we'll get to. I don't know if we'll come fucking Andrew the show. Garfield's so good in it. I mean, he is. I think it's based on a book his character wrote. So of course, he is the most sympathetic guy. Sure, and I did go back and I'm like, how much of this shit is real? But the hilarious thing is. The articles you read where people are like, Mark Zuckerberg is not like that. Like he used to be when he was younger, but he's not like that now. I'm like, that's it's younger. That's what the movie's about is that right. what he used to be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, like, that makes sense. It's like, yeah, he's not like super awkward and weird. I mean, he used to be definitely yeah. like it was, yeah. it was like to a point where it was uncomfortable. But <laughs> oh, you mean life got easier for him now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somehow? Um, <laughs> I'm sure he's nice now. Why wouldn't he be? I'll tell you more about it off off yes. air because there's some great scenes. Well, let's talk a little bit about Bruce Willis. Okay. Um, this guy just had a real good old. Born in Germany, um, uh, his mother is German. His his dad was a a, a soldier uh, for the U.S. And then the their his dad moved them back to Carney's Point, New Jersey, which is where he was from. And so for the most part, I think Bruce Willis lived in. Germany until he was two, but his mom is German. I saw uh, an interview where they were baiting him so hard to speak German. Oh, um, and and he 
can, yeah. but he just wasn't giving it to him. <laughs> He's like, you know what? If I come here and I do a movie set in Germany where I'm speaking German, I'll speak German to you then. But like, we're, it's about an English movie. It's a Hollywood movie. Right. I did see, however, Leonardo DiCaprio speaking in German oh. uh, because his grandparents on the non-Italian side uh, were German, and he was eh, he was kind of muddling through it a little bit, but he was he's giving an effort. <laughs> Fucking worthless. Right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, he said strudel. Um, but <laughs> anyhow... Um, Bruce Willis kind of really did the traditional thing. Like he, um, he went to this place called, uh, is it Montclair university in New yeah. Jersey? Okay. So that's where he got his theater, um, research from, or his studying education. But really, I mean, he graduated from that. He was in some shows in college. This is nothing different than millions of people all across the world. And along with that, not being different than millions of people, he became a bartender mm-hmm. and he was also a private investigator. Oh, just working like crazy jobs, which oh, actually geez. comes into play a little uh, yeah. bit later, not too long from that moment. And Some method uh, acting. So then he quit. He, I don't think he graduated from that university. I think he left and just moved to New York. Then he beat out somehow without any other real credits to his name, 3,000 other guys auditioning for, um, is it David Madison? Oh. Is that his character's name? Yeah. Yeah. On Moonlighting. Now, let me just, I'm going to take this moment indulgently to talk for, plug Moonlighting for a second. Please do. Because if, if yeah. everybody in the world is going to hear about, and I appreciate the fact that there is a renaissance, that there is an appreciation for older shows that are outside of somebody's generation, younger people, Gen Z people, millennials, um, discovering things like Friends or Cheers or things like that. Um, and that's fantastic. But God damn, don't sleep on Moonlighting. No. It was. One of the most unique shows. Oh, my God. It was. It, Even was as a kid, like you knew. You were just like, this is different. Well, and that that brings me to my point, which is my parents liked it. I don't know why my sister and I liked it. Like, it was not a show for kids. <laughs> right. There's no reason for it. But we were. I mean, this was our family's show. Like, we all four of us, if my dad wasn't working we were watching this this show every single week and just living and dying by it. It was so good. I believe it was a full hour long. Yeah. And um, they found a way to work in some drama. Um, there were quirky characters that played by amazing character actors, yeah. by the way. And it kind of like they had this little thing that they started and then really ran with, which was Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis talking simultaneously over each other. Yes. Arguing. And um, it was just, but you go back and you look at Moonlighting, and it doesn't even look like a TV show. It looks like film. Like if yeah. you really, if you really go back and look at it, I happen to know the guy that was Bruce Willis's double uh, on Moonlighting. Really? Yeah, I have acted on the stage with him, um, Mike Joyner. Uh, Do you ever know Mike? Oh Joyner? yeah, oh, I know the name. Yeah, yeah, local guy. Um, but uh, huh. so um, yeah, he was Bruce Willis's double. Absolutely fantastic show. Let me just say, if you've heard of Moonlighting or wanted to check it out or never heard of it at all, just start Moonlighting from the very beginning and you'll absolutely love it. Most, yeah. I'm going to say. Yeah, it is a show that they get the characters together and it loses all, everything it built up. Right. Like when finally David and uh, Maddie. Maddie get together, then the show's just, it's not fun. The tension yeah. is what made the show fun. You know, and there's this there's this one episode that I really love where it's kind of a Scrooge episode where 
Maddie wonders, like she's she's suicidal, uh-huh. and um, she is driving towards a brick wall at a high speed, and then we get this kind of like what would have happened if she had never come along, and like Bruce Willis is dating like Cheryl Teagues, <laughs> who was another model at the time, Sybil <laughs> Shepard, also being a very famous model. Um, but then right before she hits the brick wall, it cuts to just these vignettes, these scenes of her and David together. And it plays that great that they had a theme for like the slow, tender moments. And it was like, um, bum, 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 and it's like a really like sweet sentimental theme yeah. and uh yeah it was just a show that was literally throwing everything kitchen sink yeah and throwing everything killer the theme song too what's that oh Some yeah. fly by night. <laughs> yes. Some fly by day. is that al Jarreau? <laughs> i don't have no I think idea it's al Jarreau. moonlighting um, strangers uh yeah you, you just you, met on the way who then there's like a key change. The <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, right. And then, but the funny thing is about his career is that now, granted, Moonlighting got insanely popular. Yes. And um, I don't know, man. It wasn't too long after Moonlighting that he got Die Hard, right? I mean, that well, was. Well, they were like, we have to find a movie for this guy. And so he did Blind Date mm. uh, with John Larroquette and Kim Basinger. Maybe. maybe? I don't yeah. remember who the girl was in it. Yeah, uh, which was not a big hit, uh, and then yeah, I, he, yeah, then he did Die Hard, a movie no one thought was going to be good. <laughs> right, that's and how then, Bruce Willis got it. And then he did a police movie where you saw his penis underwater in a pool. Sure did. Color of Night, baby. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Of all the things, they're like, they're like, okay, we want some full frontal male nudity here. We're thinking about a cold swimming pool. <laughs> right. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, like worse. And nightmare. he's like, I could pull it off. Right. Yeah. Any guy. I mean, it's- yeah. Bad movie. That was in an era where I believe that was before this movie. I mean, oh yeah, he went through a floundering yeah process. You kind of thought. He was going to take off with a shot after Moonlighting. Obviously, Die Hard was huge. Yeah, but um, do you remember? Do you remember, did you go see Die Hard in the theaters? Not the first one. The oh second one I did. The fucking the fuck. You remember the fucking vibe in the theater during a, a Die Hard movie? Oh. Like, I mean, it was like yes. we were all just in the same. Living Even room. the third one. I remember the third one came out like right before, like the day there we had a dance. Yeah. And still a groove of us are like, we can make it. <laughs> is the just the facts, ma'am, is that in part two? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, two was almost as huge as the first oh, one. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Um, yeah, I loved I loved those movies. They're great. Um, so, yeah, Bruce Willis is fantastic. We've established that. But, um, I mean, Die Hard 2 is 10 years before this movie. I mean, what's it? What? Can you tell me a huge movie that he did? There are huge movies he did, but none that you're going to go, oh, right, because of Bruce Willis. Well, I can tell you one that he did that wasn't huge, and that was uh, Hudson Hawk. How dare you? (laughs) Listen, (laughs) yeah, no, it's true. That movie bombed. I dare anyone to go watch Hudson Hawk today and not go ahead of its time. misunderstood by audiences you're the only one that likes this movie no i'm not our friend eric does i know this for sure because i nancy and i were watching it in the garage and he stopped by the movie was halfway over and he watched the second half and was like 
that was pretty good. I'll watch that with you anytime you want. And I go, I'll start it again right now. And he goes, okay. And I started it over and I watched it all again. Um, the movie is so good. But you make, so underrated. You make a great point. Can you, uh, I'm going to run to the bathroom one last time. Can you just pull up his filmography so we can get to the bottom of that? Because yeah, I got I'm, it. It's killing me because Bruce Willis is one of the biggest fucking movie stars of all time. So yes. what are we missing? Um, it's like he does these movies that aren't the 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 vehicles that he do does. Gee, I, I can't talk right now. The movies that he does where he is the star somehow don't do as well as the movies where he is a supporting role, but a good supporting role. He does still have some hits in there, but like some of them are like, so you've got look who's talking. That's very late nineties. Not him, but he's doing the voice for the baby, but he crushes it as the baby. Um, then he, so Die Hard 2 comes out in 1990. You're like, holy shit, this guy can do no wrong. Then he does the bonfire of the vanities. He does Hudson Hawk. He does the last boys. The last Boy Scout and Hudson Hawk come out at the same year. Oh, the last Boy Scout, another just kind of like action movie that is not great. I kind of love it because I just saw it a lot. Hmm. Um, but not great. He does not play a likable character at all in it, but he's still the hero. You know, it's one of those things. Um, he's in Death Becomes Her, which is a huge movie, but not because of him. It's mm. you. It's a, That's another one of those. Were you here when we were talking about Robert Zemeckis? You weren't here when we no. were talking about Robert Zemeckis. Because we were talking about Robert's, uh, this was last night or two nights ago, um, <clears throat> where Robert Zemeckis, and who's the other fucking director we were talking about? What did we just watch the other night? I don't remember. But Zemeckis is like a director who was riding high. Oh, Ang Lee. Ang Lee is oh, the yeah. same way. Yeah. Where riding high, great, diverse filmography, really interesting projects. And then they just like hyper focus on some weird technology and are like, I'm going to make every movie based on this now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like Zemeckis does Death Becomes Her, which all of his movies do have these technological marvels and then all of a sudden he was just like actually mocap's where it's at so all my movies are going to be these dumb mocap movies and they're awful um so anyway so he's in death becomes her pulp fiction everyone's like oh fuck bruce willis is back but he's also like the fourth best part of (laughs) the biggest movie of (laughs) that year you know that's true um then that year he's in north which is like the end of um uh who who made that carl uh, rob reiner yeah Rob Reiner's coming off of uh, A Few Good Men and then does North, and then Jesus. everyone's like, you're done making movies. You're yeah, not allowed to make them anymore. It South. Meanwhile, yeah. Elijah Wood, they're like, Elijah Wood, you are going to become famous, <laughs> right, yeah. though. Uh, yeah, all in the same year. Pulp Fiction, North, Color of Night, Nobody's Fool, if no one remembers that. That's like a comedy. I don't even remember. He's like paired up with some... Uh, is, uh, is that... Uh, no, wait. Is that the Paul Newman one? That might be a Paul Newman sex comedy, but where he's like 80 years old. Wow. <laughs> I could be wrong. I don't remember. He's uncredited in that movie. So that's uh, what he did. And then another Die Hard. But now, boom, Die Hard with a Vengeance. People were like, okay, this one's better than two. 12 Monkeys. Oh, Bruce Willis is oh, back. Oh, yes. Cool genre movie. Yeah, I liked him in uh, that. And I... then Fifth Element. So now he's back yeah. on track. Yeah, People are like, holy shit. Good. Then he does Armageddon, terrible movie, uh, but people went out in droves right. to see it. 
You ever heard Ben Affleck do uh, talk? Uh, ever heard the commentary on no. that? Oh my god, he is just ripping it apart. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I remember going up to Michael and being like, Michael, is it really like um, more efficient to train drillers how to be astronauts? Surely, just training an astronaut to be a driller. <laughs> He's like, shut up, Ben. You don't know what you're talking about. He's like, yeah, well, like what you gonna do when a hot tranny hits a hot pike, snaps <laughs> off a feeder? It's so good. That's great. Um, but yeah, Fifth Element, that was big. Mercury Rising, bear, uh, terrible. Armageddon, good. Like every movie he does, three movies. Holy shit, this is crazy. He does. He does at least three to four movies every year in the 90s. Wow. Uh, ending in 99, The Story of Us, I don't remember that, The no. Sixth Sense, and Breakfast of Champions. A, I didn't a know Kurt Vonnegut adaptation where he plays Kilgore Trout. Wow. Yeah. I did not no. even Does know that play? existed. I don't remember if he plays Kilgore Trout or not. No. Kilgore Trout is in the movie. So what was the, I think played by Nick Nolte. Just real quick, what was the last movie of note that he did? Because I know he okay, did a bunch idea. of yeah, direct to, Dude, to he's video. done so many movies. Okay. Oh, if dude. I started from the back and went forward. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, he's we now those... know. I mean, listen, dude, in 2002, he did... 12 movies. Okay. So what what he got into is what's called geezer teasers, which is um where they have a a a smaller low budget production company will pay the money, maybe not 20 million, but they'll pay a guy like Bruce Willis who's on kind of the downslope of his career, like 3 million bucks or yeah. 5 million bucks, and he'll be in the movie for about 10 minutes. Right. But they're able to put his picture on the cover with some like bullshit title like uh like extreme velocity like yeah. it means nothing well here here are some of them uh vendetta yeah corrective measures <laughs> paradise city uh but yeah i mean we now know it's because he uh, uh well yeah there was a, a decline in yeah he's got some ability. uh yeah, yeah health issues and was like i'm gonna secure my so family's what was future the, what was by making a last- million dollars each on these <laughs> movies that i do 10 10 so minutes in. what was the last big one? The last That's what undeniably I'm big one. I mean, I mean, he it can't did be. Glass, a- so he does glass in 2019. Another okay, M. Night okay, Shyamalan okay. movie. All right. That was, I mean, kind of big, but still, I don't want to say but a lot of people liked it. I mean, Unbreakable is too. Oh, God, I hit my mic. Dude, seriously. Like, um, I want to say 2013. He does Red 2. Which is not even a big mo- like a sequel to a movie people barely remember exists anyway. So really, you're what you're saying is like from the aughts. Looper. I'm gonna say that 2012 Looper people is probably like the last gra- the last great movie he did. People like that, and I don't know if maybe people were a little had a little exhaustion from like. Um, psychological sci-fi stuff. Yeah. That, um, I don't know what our appetites were at the time, but I remember that movie coming out and it hearing a lot of good things, but nobody went and saw it or not a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I saw it. And in the same year, he's in moonrise kingdom, a Wes Anderson movie. Okay. So yeah, I think 2012, it was his last year of quality. I'm sure there are people who will, you know, well, no, a lot, most, uh, I'm going to say 90% of these are cameos or direct videos after that year anyway. Oh, sure. So, yeah. Yeah. But he was really great. And he, you know, he was, he has that sort of uh, New Jersey, East Coast 
um, you know, charm. And but yet that's not all he is. It's not like we see him just as some sort of like stereotypical East Coast gangster. He can do that if you wanted him to. Like he can be that tough East Coast guy if you need him to. Um, but he wasn't ever pigeonholed into that. No. Um, and when you see him in interviews, he's actually really I don't want to say soft spoken. He's still funny, but he's dry and he's uh, he's not overly animated. Like, I mean, he's just pretty like he's just kind of a normal dude. Yeah. Um, so thank God this movie exists, though, to like show uh, how good he is. And I don't even know. Uh, like, I don't want to discredit him by saying this. I don't even know if it's how good he is. Or if it's just that there's something about that dude's screen presence that just feels right. Like, sure. it just feels warm, comforting, believable, likable, um, sincere. I think it's the sincerity that, that we really get from him, especially mm. in this. I'm so glad that they made the character uh, a child psychologist, which makes sense. Yeah. But speaking of interesting performances in this movie, Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah. A, a nearly unrecognizable oh, Donnie yeah. Wahlberg, um, just because he doesn't have that a head on sideways. That was the real twist yeah. of the movie. Like, what? One <laughs> right, of the new kids exactly. is in this? Um, it lost 43 pounds, supposed to look like, like when someone's mental state is in deterioration, it really affects their, their physical <laughs> appearance as well. Lost 43 pounds, but still fucking ripped somehow. Yeah, it looks like, good. Looking yeah. good. Um, been a real tub of shit before this. Right. <laughs> Uh, well, he didn't have ripped jeans on and a sideways hat. So, I mean, it's like it, it nearly recognizable, unrecognizable, but really great. Like it's a pivotal, it's a small role, but it's an important role. Yeah. And um, so that's where, you know, Bruce Willis is shot. And then, you know, that's where the twist begins unbeknownst to the rest. It's of a us. line in that segment where, you know, he's like, do you know why you're afraid when you're alone? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. And Nancy hates that line, that especially that line reading. Yeah. So I do it all the time. So then while we're, she watched this with me, <laughs> this perfect setup. She like uh he like asked that question, I turn to her and I go, I do. And then he goes, I do, I do. She's like, Oh my god, there another I do. Do the other one. I'm like, No, that is the I do. I'm like, she's like, What's the other one I don't like? And, and where she's like, wait, no, don't do it. I'm like, sorry, you asked for it. He had a gun in my mouth. Uh, he made me fuck her. She's like, stop it. No, stop it. I'm you, like, you asked, you literally asked me to do it. I have to do it. You, you need to renew your vows so that you can do the I do in that. Like, <laughs> just do the Mark War, the Donnie Wahlberg. Oh, oh that's so good. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so this movie, The Sixth Sense, um, it's uh, – you had told me before I watched it, you had watched it before I did, you and Nan, and um, you had talked about just how emotional it got you. Yeah. And I'm I'm pretty emotional as it is along – especially, you know, with watching films. I was watching the movie, and I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a little good ways into it, and – I'm like, you know, I wonder if Andrew's going through it because, like, I, I just don't. <laughs> Gotta have a talk. With I just him. don't see this. Meanwhile, you, you know those those movies about like a rogue wave. <laughs> yeah. Well, they'll have a scene where it's like 50 feet tall, but just kind of like seemingly not moving, but just the moonlight is hitting it. That's what was happening behind my eyeballs, just <laughs> waiting to crash down. 
So the ah. second that I'm like, what is he crying about? Then all of a sudden it was nonstop. And it was like, and it's not even, the car scene obviously is huge. Yeah. But it, but you're right. I think I think you hit the nail on the head when when you talk about being the the parent of a kid that you know is struggling and all you as a parent all you ever want for your kid is just a normal fucking life. Right. You want him to have friends. You want him to laugh and and goof around. And it's especially bad if you did get to have all of that and then you know that your kid isn't getting to have that same experience. And yeah. It literally rips your fucking heart out. Yeah. And so when you see it. On screen here, I had forgotten the scene where, like, he even has another, like, shithead kid in the class, like, oh, pretend dude, to be his friend. This fucking kid. And, oh, yeah. Let me tell you real quick. I know you're going to make <laughs> you know, a point ahead, about yeah. him. This poor child, I motherfucked this kid for a decade. Anytime I saw him in anything, that's how good he is as a being a little prick in this movie. I didn't want him to succeed. I'm like, yeah. I hate that fucking kid. <laughs> No, and you're you're fair. That's that's completely fair. And you know, and kids can be really awful, and it's it's terrible to go through as a parent. But we see it in this, and we see the kid really struggling with it, and it it only gets worse when there's this really out of the blue scene that I had completely forgotten about, where he's in his classroom. Oh yeah, and is trying to answer questions as to the history of the building that the, that the school is in, and he is being now. I don't know what would have been the genesis of him knowing these things, other than you know him seeing dead people in the halls. I yeah. suppose. But well, but, I think there's. I think it's implied like there's a ghost telling him the answer next to him because yes. he kind of like looks to the side and perks up and is like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I can answer that then. And I'll tell you, it's a really bold move because we're supposed to feel sympathy for this kid, which we do. Yeah. But at the same time, he just decides to fucking go off on this poor teacher who had a stutter. Yeah. I'm not saying the teacher didn't set himself up for that. Yeah. Being a little smug, but he wasn't terrible. Like the No, like that scene does in retrospect, like after watching it again. Feels out of place. It does because the teacher, it almost, he almost feels possessed at that point, which he never is. Correct. And the, and what the teacher is doing leading up to leading up to what we're just about to talk about is is really not that bad. Like you actually kind of like this teacher, like just his presence, his voice, every the actor, whatever. In the beginning of the scene, like he's just kind of likable like, as a young you know male teacher, and then um, but it's like because. The Haley Joel Osment character is saying that, hey, they used to hang people here because this used to be a courthouse. Yeah. And, you know, his teacher not understanding that, all of a sudden, Haley Joel Osment kind of uncharacteristically gets really mean. Yeah. And, and Stop starts calling, looking at me like that. Right. And and starts calling this this poor teacher out for what used to be a childhood stutter. Yeah. Um, and so that felt a little off. I think it was maybe a segue that we needed a little bit. Um, but, uh, maybe that kid's just sick of fucking internalizing the whole damn thing. <laughs> well, yeah. And he's like, I'm that just, could be it too. Yeah. He's like, why doesn't everybody else share in the fucking <laughs> bullshit that my everyday existence is? And so maybe that's it. Um, but I do like the fact that his teacher, it, like it doesn't ruin the relationship. Like later on, there's something, this, this little shit of a kid is calling this teacher out on what would have been past trauma and probably a lot of like shame and guilt for having a stutter as a kid. But then I think somewhere in a scene that we don't see, that teacher must have also seen some sort of kinship 
with him. Yeah. You know, that he is also not well liked by the other students and that sort of thing. Yeah. So that that's it's a very it's a very it's Well, it's, there's a definite implied improvement in his overall demeanor anyway. That's true. Now let me ask you this one question. Um so some of the ghost activity in this is pretty creepy. Yeah. But it's all very, very It's really the only scary stuff. It's, but it's it's also like really measured and tempered. Yes. Like and some of that works to a scarier level, like when the one kid says, like, hey, do you want to see where my dad keeps his guns? And then you see the back of his head blown out. Like, that's creepy. Like, I don't we don't see any more of that kid, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> right. Completely okay with that. Um, and then you're like, I never thought oatmeal dripping out of somebody's mouth would be so disturbing, but it is. And that's our introduction to that. that Misha sh- Barton. Yeah. Yeah. What is, what is she famous she for? She was on the OC. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, um, so that's when we went, get like had a breakdown or something. Like, I think she left that show. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was impl- implying earlier with the, uh, like the, the execution, the flawless execution of introducing this whole other setting and character and storyline um, to show the power or what could be the the powers of what this child has. What is, I'm sorry, what is Haley Joe Osmond's character's name? Cole. Cole. What Cole Seer, well-named. Yeah. Um, so he's, yeah, he's a <laughs> seer. seer. Yeah. He sears dead people. <laughs> yes. So, um, so yeah, so you know, we get some of that ghostly stuff. Do you feel like it has the right amount of scare? Well, first of all, by the way, let's just get this out of the way. I'm not saying you can't find anything anywhere that doesn't call this a horror movie, but it is not normally referred to as a horror film. No. It's a thriller. Yeah, I guess so. So, um, which is kind of silly, but uh it's just a weird sort of genre anyway. But do you would you have wanted a little bit more scare, or do you feel that the essence of the story is more in the the emotion of the what is ultimately what these characters and what these ghosts are struggling with? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that there's just enough ghost stuff in it because you know it can become a little overdone um, if this were yeah because that's not what this movie is essentially about it's about the relationship of this kid with his mom and how do how do they get over this inability to convey what they're both feeling essentially um so yeah and i think all the ghost stuff is just enough like the mom the the lady in the kitchen uh or like your dinner's not gonna be late anymore you can't (laughs) hurt me (laughs) like that i mean just these bursts of to where you you get the sense of like that that would make it a little more terrifying. Like if it was, I know he says like, I see him all the time. Yeah. I'm sure that is a generalization, but it's not like he sees 50 in a room at, at you know, all times. But for a kid at, at nine, you know, a lot of shit happens in a week for us. Now a week is just like, oh, wow. I yeah. can't believe it's been yeah. four of those already. In yeah. I'm a sorry. minute. I saw four dead people today. That <laughs> feels like all the time for right. me. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah, just these short bursts where it is it's probably a thing where his guards down like it's been a few minutes like like I think I've talked about my thing where I choke on food a lot, but it doesn't happen enough to where I'm constantly thinking about it to mm. avoid it. So then it's that moment I'm not thinking about it and maybe take too big a swallow or something and I'm like, "Oh, right. 
I'm plagued by seeing ghosts, you know, right. one of those things. Um, so yeah, I think it's just enough. They're creepy enough to, I mean, it's like this poor kid is never like see someone who died from carbon monoxide poisoning. Like it's always right. someone who has had their head bashed in or are hanging sure. from the fucking rafters. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Some people just die in their sleep and everybody's like, it's, it was, they died in their sleep <laughs> right. and it was really sweet. But as yeah. Nancy pointed out to me when I made this point, she's like, it's probably, you know, the the lore of ghosts is they can't move on because of some trauma okay. or something that's happened. So you, we know this for a fact. So you just walked right, <laughs> you just walked right into my next question, which is at the end of the film, um the character of Cole says to Bruce Willis after they've had a bit of a breakthrough, like, I'm not gonna see you tomorrow, am I? Right. I'm not gonna see you anymore. And then um then we have, you know, him, uh, uh, Bruce Willis's character talking to his wife and kind of saying goodbye to her. So while it's not spelled out in the movie, what is your impression for what is happening here? Is it that these ghosts are here because of that unresolved, those unresolved issues? Yeah. And that once they do, they pass on to whatever you might believe is. Yeah, I think it's built off of that just kind of very popular mythos of you you pass on to the next part, but you maybe you have unfinished business here right. that needs to be done first. So that's what's the, the, I'll tell you what, it's the twist isn't the most amazing and puzzling part about this movie. It's the fact that it made so much money and there's no sequel, which is fantastic. True. Because they could have easily done some bullshit thing where Bruce Willis is this wandering helper of people, <laughs> you know, in need, these little kids, and then we get another little kid or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they could have really fucked it up. But think there's a the- scene where that kid goes to visit Haley Joel Osment. Like he's got the the five minute cameo. Right, kind of be like, oh yeah, that happened to me. Right, or maybe Haley Joe Osment has put it so far behind him that like he doesn't want to remember no, it. Oh yeah, stirs it up at him, and he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then like, yeah, I mean, it could be a whole thing, but the fact that the restraint—and this is a funny word to use when it comes to Hollywood—the restraint of Hollywood to not do a sequel with a movie that made that much fucking money is almost unprecedented. Yeah, that's true. And it's, and thank God for it because yeah, a sequel would be garbage. It would be. I mean, I think it would only work as like a comedy where (laughs) Haley Joel Osment is now taking advantage of his ability and bilking people or whatever can still get the specific info he oh. needs, but is then scamming them or something like Ooh, that. Yeah. I, I kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. Especially if they did it with him now. Um, like yeah. That would, that would be kind of awesome. Um, but no, I, I think that... Um, Crazy, this is our second Haley Joel Osment movie. What was the other one? Tusk. Oh, fuck. Right. <laughs> oh, my God, you're right. Um, and I think this is our second Bruce Willis movie. Very brief cameo in another movie we covered. Okay. One you picked and like very much. With Bruce Willis? Yeah. What would that be? Planet Terror. Oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> he shows yes. up at the end. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. God, good call there. Um, I saw it on his filmography. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I think that, you know, what's so funny about this is when I, like I've talked about before, when I don't have a lot of viewing notes, um, that means that I was just really wrapped up in the movie. And I, I really didn't. I I mean, I, I, I got goofy-ass notes like, uh, I see dead people scene, 
uh, dot, 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 pretty good. <laughs> like, that's literally a note that I wrote down, like a fucking Pretty good. Pretty good. Anyone, then, anyone pretty uh, good. remember yeah. that scene? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. Um, and, uh, but I, uh, I think that, I think that what's what's happening in this movie, if it's not scary with the ghosts, which we've established, I mean, it is, but they're not overdoing that, so that it really is about the relationship. But the funny thing is, is that, let me ask you this question. I'm going to go pee one more time, and then we're going to talk about something really serious. All right. Do you think that this movie is more about Bruce Willis or Cole or, or Haley Joel Osment? Oh, I mean, well, the movie itself is more about Bruce Willis. Like it's his story. But I think as the audience, you are definitely drawn in more with Cole and his mom. Like you want them to survive whatever it is that they've got going on. Um, Cause while the Bruce Willis character is great, um, you know, the, the, the strain on his marriage is implied. Like we don't see it simply because he's not seeing it because he's fucking dead. So, you know, it's like we're kind of with Bruce Willis, but we get to see just as an observer, Cole and his mom. So I'm like more rooting for them, but it is the the main character is Bruce Willis. Like it is his story, but I'm far more invested in Cole and the movie knows it, which is why they give them like, the, you know, their own kind of moment of resolution. That is more powerful. It's no, there's no cool twist in it. Yeah, but their their resolution and understanding of each other, Jesus Christ, in the car scene. Yeah. So well, I read one thing, and I don't. And you would know that you'd be a perfect perfect uh, perfect person to ask for this for having seen all of nearly or all of Shyamalan's. Most of them. Yeah. Okay. Does he have a car accident in every movie? Um. Oh man! It seems yeah, to... let's see. Yeah, Sixth Sense. Yes, Unbreakable. Yes, Signs. Yes, yes. The uh, Happening. Or I mean, um, there is not one in the village because there really aren't cars in the no, village. No, nor is there one in the Lady in the Water. But I, right. the, I, the reason why now I the ask... Happening there is one, and okay. it's the part I one of the dumbest parts of the movie, <laughs> if I may, very briefly. If you haven't seen the Happening, the whole premise of it is we're destroying our planet and. Plants have decided to pay us back by releasing mind-controlling spores that make us kill ourselves. That is the premise of the hammer. Oh my God, it's so stupid. To so it's so stupid. Here, there is a part that they had to call it the happening, dude. Yeah, there is a part. John Leguizamo's in it, uh, and they are first. Mark Wahlberg plays a science teacher. Oh boy, yeah. Uh, but uh, 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 Leguizamo is in a jeep right like a cloth top jeep and they're driving talking about like oh what's going on and he like looks up and there's like a tear in the jeep and then it just kind of cuts to the outside of the jeep driving and then it just drives into a tree i'm like they're breathing air inside the fucking jeep like right. the, the cut in the jeep it's nothing to do with it it's so and it's like immediate There is one worthy part of that movie and you could just look up the clip because it's just a hilarious line delivery because it yes, 
he has a lot of car wrecks, a lot of crazy old women, because, of course, they come upon a crazy old woman yes. in the happening to where they're, like, discussing something. And this lady's like, are you talking about me? And just Wahlberg going, what? No. Like, that <laughs> delivery is so out of place in that movie. It's so funny. It's just like, <laughs> why? If, okay. Like, you, you're not even mad it's there, because at least it's something interesting. That movie's so stupid. I just love the fact that the title, like, they were like, we don't know what to call this. Like, <laughs> right. it was a thing that happened. Like, we can't even come up with a and name. And it sounds it. pedantic to be just like, oh, yeah, they're running from the wind. Like, yeah, that's what, like, trick. Like, if they see uh, the breeze, they're like, Let, gotta book it. Let's go. Wow. Like, that is what they're doing in that Yikes. movie. So I, as I was thinking about this movie and it actually having some <laughs> virtue of, of existence, um, now here I am. In, in the spirit of reclaiming a film that we were not going to cover, <laughs> yeah. brought back from the dead, me going against my, my usual type, which is, you know, that I've said a million times that I hate preachy movies. But the thing that I felt sort of compelled by was really it started with that that car scene at the end where, you know, Cole expresses to his mother what his power is and demonstrates that it's real. And there's that connection. So I started asking myself, like, I wonder, I mean, is this movie trying to do anything like we know that there's the supernatural thing and the seeing dead people and all that stuff. But is he trying to get anything across without ramming it down our throats. And I think that that car scene is really, really important because I guess if the movie is trying to do anything, it might be trying to speak to unresolved issues and, and to try your best to not have those because they're going to haunt you. Yeah. You know, they're going to keep you from moving on. And um, so I, I don't know if that's reading too much into it, but do you, do you feel like the movie because it, it always feels like the movie is trying to get a message across? Yeah, but it's just not it's not putting it up in in neon lights. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying because even writing up the synopsis for this, I'm like, because normally I can be like, so here's the last thing they're doing. Will they do it? And I'm kind of like, no, there's really no big the climactic moment is them having a conversation in their car <laughs> right. essentially. Um, so yeah, it does kind of feel like, you know, the goal is will he help this kid, you know? And while, yeah, he does, it is interesting that he does it as a ghost. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's hard. It's hard to articulate. Well, because what's happening is, is that what you could say that it's about helping this kid, but ultimately what is effective in that car scene is, Tony Collette's like um, making peace with her relationship with her mother. Yeah, good point. And that's that's really what that that ends up being about. The emotional core isn't even like, oh my god, I can't believe you see dead people. It's that I walk around every day with this thing that I think about that I I'm not dealing with, yeah. or that I didn't deal with the right way when I could have, yeah, and that now I know that you know it it did work out or. Thank God it worked out. Yeah. You know? Um. So, yeah, yeah. Good point. Because, yeah, it is like they do a good job of not really um, hanging on this shit with her mom. But there is enough in there, especially even even in that scene. You get so much of their relationship where 
they were young enough, like she was young enough to where they would have a fight, but she had a dance recital and maybe her mom doesn't come to that. Like yeah. there's so much packed into that. Like what kind of relationship you have to have with a parent to where they're like, I'm not, I'm not going to your fucking recital. Right. Um, and and they fought about something, you know, to have that kind of volatile relationship and then still want that, um, uh, you know, validation from a parent that you might hate even or, right. or angry at. And then like my friend where you're like, oh shit, now they passed before I popped out and said hi to them. Yeah. Like I'd been meaning to do every day, but just never did. And now I can't anymore. So now I'm going to just hold on to that. Like, and it is, you know, it's because you're the one alive and are able to think about it. I mean, it's slightly selfish because that person's fucking dead. Like, let's sure. think about them. Um, but, you know, you can't help but, you know, you're the one whose brain is still working and processing things. And that, you know, regret is going to be a thing, especially if you've grown up with a- an idea that there is an afterlife or something. And now, like, you know, what could that person think of me? And, you know. There's then there's such a divide, but they probably do feel closer, but it's even harder. Like for someone like me, if someone I know dies, I'm like, that's it. I won't have this thing of, oh, you know, and do the things I still do or is it affecting them? You know, are they watching me do the things that are still disappointed in me or something like that? Like that's got to be fucking awful. Well, yeah, and I, I, I actually I printed off. It made me think of, uh, and just indulge me for a second. I'm going to try to read this. If I, I apologize if my delivery is very plain, but I'm going to I'm just going to try to get just trying to do it without, without crying. Yes. <laughs> um, and this, <laughs> it it might. Speak, you want me to read the list? Um, it might speak to. Uh, yeah, actually, maybe I will have you read this. Um. It, it it might speak to you. It uh, it it might speak to me. Yeah, uh, go ahead and read this. It's a it's a poem. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, excuse me. Got to get all my burps out. How do we forgive our fathers? Maybe in a dream. Do we forgive our fathers for leaving us too often or forever when we were little? Maybe for scaring us with unexpected rage or making us nervous because there never seemed to be any rage there at all. Ooh. Do we forgive our fathers for marrying or not marrying our mothers, for divorcing or not divorcing our mothers? And shall we forgive them for their excesses of warmth or coldness? Shall we forgive them for pushing or leaning, for shutting doors, for speaking through walls, or never speaking, or never being silent? Do we forgive our fathers in our age or in theirs or their deaths, saying it to them or not saying it? If we forgive our fathers, what is left? Yeah, I could get through that, no problem. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but what I, I think that I, the reason why I wanted to to have that said was because I think that it speaks to this movie, especially that last line or even that last stanza where it's saying, "Do we forgive our fathers in in our age or theirs?" Like, and, and that last line, a movie of, with zero fathers in it. What's that? <laughs> a movie with zero fathers. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, perfect. Perfect one. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm just like helping him out here. Like, you know, I think you forgot something, right. M. Knight. Um, so if we forgive our fathers, what is left? The first time I heard that poem, I thought, well, what does that mean then? We're, we're not supposed to forgive, you know, our fathers or whoever it may be. But the last line is perfect because it says, if we forgive our fathers, what is left? Well, I'll tell you what's left. What's left is acceptance. 
What's left is the chance to move on. Yeah. The chance to move forward. Uh, hope, peace, you know, so it, I think that that's kind of what this movie, the heart of what this movie is getting to is that fix things while you still have the chance. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to live every day like you're on your deathbed. That's, that's impossible. But it does mean that if there's something that, you know, if you feel like you're putting your work in front of your wife, Jesus, God, I just read uh, an article this week. This is the saddest fucking thing. Um, Patrick Stewart, 83 years old. Everybody loves him. One of the most well-respected actors of, of TV or film or of all time stage. And he was talking about how he is haunted every single day of his life by the fact that he does not have any relationship with his two children. And they asked him why. And he at least honestly said, I put everything behind work. Work came first. I never saw them. He's like, I'd maybe see them for a couple of hours on Sunday. Yeah. Now I don't, I don't know them anymore. I don't know my own grandchildren oh. and I'm haunted every day by the fact that I don't have a relationship with my own children who yeah. are now grown adults. And here we are thinking like Patrick Stewart must live like the greatest life. And he's going, you know, everybody loves him and everybody wants to talk to him. And that dude probably goes home from those Hollywood parties and sits and, and is is only comfort yeah. or comforting. I have to get so, drunk with Ian McKellen every night. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Nightmare. And right, but I mean, it, it just goes to show that, like, if you if you think that there's something that every day, every week, every month, you keep fucking up and you keep doing wrong, or you wish that you could do more, or you know that you should do more, then just make that change. You know what's what's funny is. I look around at people that like make changes. Maybe it's their diet. Maybe it's they, they stop drinking or whatever it may be. And it's like after like a couple of months and they keep that up, it's like they actually achieved what they wanted to do. Yeah. All they had to do was start it. Yeah. You know? And so it's, it, that's the hardest thing to do because it seems like, well, I'm never going to make up for everything that I feel like I need to make up for. Yeah, you will, but you have to start. Yeah. So I think that that's if there is a message, and I can't believe that it's me that's trying to pull a message out of this movie, <laughs> other than it just being the great story that it is. But it is to, you know, if there's something that you feel is off and that you want to make right, just don't waste any time. Just make it right. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I've gotten pretty good at that and not um, holding. <laughs> holding anything back <laughs> also like uh don't make fun of kids like don't <laughs> don't make fun of the weird kid in your class because that makes you an asshole yeah um, make fun of tommy tomasimo though yes that guy yeah, sucks you make all the fucking fun out of that kid that you want i mean um, i do love how the movie just kind of beats him up like at the end he's just plays the town fool yeah and cole <laughs> removes the sword from the stone or whatever you know yeah. no it's it's the yeah it's kind of the ending that we needed like we know that you know Life doesn't usually happen like it doesn't turn around and get that happy that quick. But we needed to see this kid like have a little bit of fun. Yeah. You know? Oh, well, yeah, dude. Th just that scene where his mom pushes him in the grocery cart is such a uh, it's such a scene that where you could cut that out. But like, it's such a powerful scene oh, and just I a moment that. where you're like, finally, this kid is just getting like. Like, it's fun, but he's not even, like, excited about it. He's, like, relieved Yeah, no. that he's having fun for 10 seconds. Yeah, I I love the shopping cart scene, <laughs> yeah. exclamation point. Like, you're right. And, I mean, maybe that's, you know, 
he should get a lot of credit for that in this movie, M. Night Shyamalan, that, you know, it, it, that he put in, whether it was that sun rising or setting over those statues or this shopping cart scene, it wasn't about like, I've got such a twist and I'm just going to ride that as the only thing that this movie's about. Right. That he, he took the time to stop and give us the, the feelings of things. Yeah. And it's super effective. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and the movie holds up wonderfully. Did you notice the color red in this movie? <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, you would. I will say though, you had mentioned something to me before that I didn't. I did not notice that the first time. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, no. okay. So I did notice it, and then you know, of course, had to look it up. And I think now let's get through those real quick. So, oh boy, the red represents where the sort of spirit world has somehow crossed over and had a connection yeah. to the the real world. Yeah. So the doorknob on the door that would have been to his office yeah. is red. Now that is the one where I'm like, now oh, that that's just so we remember that doorknob. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cause that was real. Cause he goes down in the basement after it's not like he can't get into the basement. Right. He goes down there, but yeah, there's a red balloon. The school building is red. Um, his the, wife has a red Afghan. The numbers on the tape recorder, as he goes up in volume, yeah. those numbers turn red. Oh, to where he can hear the voice. There you go. That one was that was the one, and I, I I'm not going to take credit for that. I read it somewhere, but I re- I saw that, and I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, like yeah. that. That totally works. Did you watch it all the way to the end credits? Yeah. Like, did I watch all the credits? Mm-hmm. I mean, they probably played, but. Did you hear anything at the end of the credits? Oh, uh, Darth Vader breathing? Uh, no. No. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, the uh, Yo no quiero morir. The um, that that like I don't want to die. Oh, Spanish thing. Yeah. Is right at the end of the credits. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. That was the one part where I'm like, he recorded the ghost. That's the, I don't believe that. Well, I know what you mean. Even there. if you turn it all the way up. Well, I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised that. You had mentioned, I mean, I, the movie does do a good job of handling its rules. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these ghosts can grab, can move things. Sure. They, uh, their voices are at high volume, able to be picked up. Um, so, yeah. But I, the moving things is also, I mean, we really never see the ghost moving anything. Right. Or any ghost moving anything. We It is implied that the grandma... The ghost of the grandmother moves the bumblebee pendant. Well, and the ghost scratch and bruise the kid, too. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we never see it. It's always implied. Um, that's what Which I like. Which, yeah, if you look through, and I, I can't remember the movie that we talked about where we talked about twist endings. And if it was, if you go back, like, this is definitely a movie. If anything you watch Bruce Willis do, if he sits in a chair, he never moves the chair yeah it's always he's just able to sit down in it and start talking um even like that whole dinner scene because i you had said maybe you've thought about this more but you had said you kind of hoped there was more maybe one other scene where you start to see their marriage break down a little bit yeah i thought it was very effective in the restaurant alone because we you don't know how much time has gone past and that is kind of the first time where you're like Oh, she seems pretty pissed at him yeah. right now. 
Um, and I but, guess- but I but I think we're able to fill in the blanks. You know, you're like, oh, I get it. Like he immediately sits down and is like, sorry, I'm late for our anniversary dinner. Anyway, here's everything that happened at work today without her letting asking her a question or anything. Okay, good. So point. you're like, I see why she's pissed. He's completely obsessed with the work. Okay, no, yeah, and I I have softened on that viewpoint. I to me, I was just looking at it as. The last time that he was alive, they had that moment where he won the award. They were very, very close. There was a little bit of discussion about how, you know, he kind of put work ahead of everything. Yeah. But um, but she was, I mean, they were very close. They were laughing. They were getting ready to bang, all this stuff. And then. Great drunk pre-banging. Yeah. I, acting. I, I do like that. <laughs> so good. But then it went from that very much togetherness to then her giving him the cold shoulder. Yeah. So I, in looking back, it doesn't, I mean, you pick up on it. Like you said, I think the dinner scene handles it pretty well. Um, You have to know she's not giving him the cold shoulder. Well, right. But I don't know he's there. I'm just correct. (laughs) But if we didn't know that, right. I'm just kind of pretending from like a first viewing standpoint, like, is that, does that make sense that we would go? The last scene that we saw was that he got shot. They're in love. They're happy. They're about to bang. He gets shot. And then now we go to a scene where like, or scenes where she seems to just ignore him. Yeah. But, and it might be one of those because you know, and then watching it, like it might be different. Cause I do remember the first time watching it, just being like, this one guy is really fucking bold to yeah, just be right. like coming up to their door asking yes. if she wants to head out to Amish country with him. <laughs> right. No, you're right. And and uh and so yeah, in retrospect, I have softened on that. I think that while it might not be spoon feeding, I'm usually condemning spoon feeding stuff anyway. Yeah. So it's fine. It it totally doesn't <laughs> look, you can't just fool tens of hundreds of millions of people and have done something wrong. Right? It <laughs> right. all worked. It all worked. So no, it was great. I loved it. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, like rewatching it, there were a lot of like little bits that I forgot about. Um, it was a little slower than I remember, but not, not, I mean, not in a bad way. I've just, all I've been doing lately is watching slow movies. So I yeah. watched skin and rink. So this was no problem. <laughs> right. Uh, skin rinks. Good by the way. Uh, I don't know how that'll be met. Yeah, I still have to see that. I've heard some negative reviews on it, but at this point, I don't. I also hear a bunch of people say that that the burning is a great horror. Movie. <laughs> right. So I mean, it, it's. I think Skinner Marink. If you if you just if you are like, here's what I want to see in this movie. If you just kind of let it happen, it's very effective. Okay, I, I think I'll like. Do you think I would like it? Uh. Yeah, knowing how you watch movies and how scared they are. I mean, this is a movie where you, this is a, it sounds like a backwards compliment. Right. But (laughs) I didn't want to blink because I was afraid that's when something would happen. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. No. But you spent, it is, it's, it's so so purposefully underexposed, overexposed to where you cannot, and there's so much dark. Yeah. Where you are just looking intently at the dark, being like, can I pick something out of that? Is there something in the Ooh. dark? 
Like that's essentially what the movie is. Like here's a dark, here's a dark room. Let your imagination run wild. Can I ask you one question? And you don't have to answer if you think it ruins anything. Yeah. Does anything eventually happen in the movie? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then we're good. There's like three things that happen, but okay. they're so worth the build up. I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Oh no, I, I like that. They're good scenes. And it's a movie where the so the um, close captions definitely help. A oh, little really? bit, yeah. So just with some, like, just with like um, sound effect descriptions. I want to say, okay, like just because it's all a lot of sounds. Like you never really see. Like if you watch the trailer for that, there's a part where a kid like turns to the side and you see like a profile of his face. That's the most face you see in the movie. Wow, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, no, I'd love to see that. Very experimental, but. Well done, experimental. It, is it even possible to cover on the show with its sort of <sighs> lack of happening or it's the style that it's in? Hmm, I don't know. I mean, possibly, but yeah, there, I mean, there's not a lot. We used to do 45 minute episodes. That's so true. I, yeah, we could do it. Do if we like went retro. back in time and did this as like episode nine, no problem. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, now. Where are we at now? Is that about two hours. Okay. <laughs> No, I. That, that's a funny thing. I. That's why I'm like, I know I'm forgetting eight things that I love about this movie. <laughs> well, no, and I, I, but I at the same time though, like, this is just one of those movies where, first of all, if it's a good thing if we don't have a bunch of things to rip apart. That's that's probably why it feels like there's something lacking because it is a good movie and yeah. it is well done. So there isn't that much to rip on. The performances are great. The direction is fantastic. Like you said, whatever whatever is there in the writing is helped by the actors. Um, so there's nothing negative about the film. And I, well, I guess what I really love about it is that it is, if for all of its popularity and all of its box office, to watch it, it's kind of a small film. Like, I mean, just in its scope. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, um, it doesn't break out into the world. Um, it doesn't break out into like news broadcasts of young boy that can see that. No, there's right. none of that bullshit. Like it's just very confined and just small in its scope. And, um, but it worked great that way. Yeah. Yeah. That way we don't get any of the, he's able to avoid the Hollywood tropes of let's do tests on him. Let's yeah. you know do experiment, all that stupid bullshit. Yeah. Um, so no, it's fantastic. I do like the trailer itself. Oh, like the beginning of the trailer is like the last 10 minutes of the movie. Like it's where he, they're in the car. Like yeah, that's oh. the beginning of the trailer where he's like, a lady died up there. And she's like, Oh my God, can you see her? She's standing next to my window. Uh, so good. Yeah, that's awesome. so good. Yeah. And I love the, just the lady with like the bike helmet, just walking away. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Good. I mean, you know, congratulations to that actress. Yes. You were in the sixth sense. <laughs> Tell all your friends. <laughs> I mean, you were in it. So, like, yeah. I mean, you can go ahead and brag about that. Yeah. She looks also like the teacher from Nightmare on Elm Street. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that was her. I doubt it. Yeah. That'd be cool, though. But, um, no, I think I think it's just, a, it's just a really well done movie. I mean, we don't... And here's the funny thing. Like, here I was not... I don't want to say not anticipating this episode or excited about it, but it's just really not like there is, there's literally no boobs in this movie. No, there's no sex. No, there's no, not there's a shower kind of like an obscured shower scene. I, but I'm, I'm kind of joking, but literally like there's, there isn't that sort of like 
visceral, guttural, fear, terror, tension, freak out stuff that we normally go after that we're excited about in covering these movies. No. But it doesn't mean that it, it doesn't have enough elements to to be a companion piece to that genre. Yeah. It is. And uh but yeah, it's just really, really well done. I know what I was gonna ask yes. you. Yes. Because when you saw this movie, the ending was kind of spoiled for you. Mm-hmm. So while you watched that movie, like, were you, did you have any moments where you're like, no, that can't be right? Or were you just kind of like, go, oh, that makes sense. And then you could kind of see that play out. Yeah, it was the second one because okay. because it's it was the equivalent for me to watching it a second time. I guess if you so. had seen it. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah. Because uh, yeah. it's even the bits like where you go. That can't be because she's like having a conversation with Bruce Willis. But then you actually see that scene. And it is just kind of like a worried mom just kind of sitting there waiting for her son to get home and no one's talking to each other. Well, yes, there are those moments that might plant a little bit of self-doubt, but there's so many other (laughs) moments where you're like, yeah, she's sitting at a table for one, um, (laughs) you know, whatever it may be. And so, yeah, that's that's where I the, the more that I watched it. But I guess I was still able to appreciate how well he was handling it, though. Yeah. But um, so it was still enjoyable, just the same way that it is enjoyable if you watch it a second time. Yeah. Um, I just didn't get to have the fun that everybody else did. Uh, millions and millions of other people. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I can't remember freaking out in a theater like that, just at a reveal like that. Yeah, that's so good. That is. And you know what? you Because you, you feel dumb. You do feel dumb. Like, of course. Right. Of course he was fucking dead. And can you really. He got shot at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. They showed it to you <laughs> yeah, when he got shot. Showed him yeah. dying. <laughs> right. And then introduced a kid who sees dead people. And I was just like, I hope he helps this kid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's tough. You know? <laughs> I mean, he's Bruce Willis. Like, yeah. you can shoot him a couple of times. It's fine. Um, but, but no. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, I, I guess yes, I missed out on that, but um, but it's still a great film, and uh, and I'm just glad that it holds up. That's the biggest thing. Like, I'm glad that I could go back, and it kind of told me that I should be less dismissive. Like, just because something isn't a gut muncher or crazy, like violence and that sort of thing, sex and violence, that there's there's still good movies out there. Yeah. <laughs> Without those <laughs> other attributes. Right. So, no, I loved it. Not to take it. anything away from those attributes, because <laughs> exactly. that makes exactly. a fun movie for sure. Yes. But no, I, I really, really liked it. And um, Recommend? Yes. All right. Yeah, I recommend yeah. as well. I don't, and I'll be honest with you, and it's not my place to judge, but... I think that anybody that would not recommend this movie would just be being a douchebag. Yeah. Like you'd you'd be you'd be gunning for just being a prick. Like you'd 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 try to be just bucking the system. Right. Oh, that movie's so boring. Yeah. You know right away he's dead. Right. Well, even if you did, it's still fucking. <laughs> yeah, awesome. exactly. Yeah. Right. <sighs> yeah, I know I've known every subsequent time I've watched it and have enjoyed it more and more. <laughs> All right. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we did it. Thank God nothing's ever really dead in horror. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we'll actually do something with real stakes, but I don't know. We'd have to be covering dramas then, I guess, at that point. Right. (laughs) Howard's End ended. You know what I'm saying? There's no Howard's End 2. Howard Returns. (laughs) Yes. Maybe that's the thing. Like, um, that we literally would have to make stakes to where it's not about like 
not covering a horror movie, but that a movie that we would have to cover right. that would suck. Like Howard's End. This is going to be the first episode my dad ever listens to because he, he's just going to catch when we mention a Merchant Ivory movie. He's going to be like, oh, <laughs> right. you guys talk about Howard's End? <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Um, please. Uh, so that was um, The Sixth Sense from 1999. So we're kind of out of the tower. The tower has been destroyed. Not really. It's still sitting here very nicely. Yeah. Um so, yeah, for November, uh, we just kind of have a smattering of some movies that all begin with N, because why not? Because it's November. Yeah. Uh, we're going to call it, oh, no, November. <laughs> or something else that we come up with later. Uh, and we're going to start with a request. This is a request from our friend John, who has been essentially requesting this movie since we started. And it fits perfectly in the Oh November theme of movies that start with N. So please join us next week from 1984, Night of the Comet. Yeah. One neither of us have seen. We could go. But look- looks right up your alley, at least. Yeah. It's very 80s. A uh, little bit of camp in there. Um, looks like a lot of fun. We, yeah. could, we could call the mini series the n-word boom god damn it that's way better the n-word so <laughs> oh, our thankful three movie series right, the n-word yes. um but uh, <laughs> night of the comet i i have heard a lot of people like this movie it looks like it's going to be a lot less crying than the sense <laughs> So there's that going for right. it. And I'm just kind of excited to see what the buzz is about. It's a cult classic. Yeah. We've discussed what what is and isn't a cult classic. So we'll, we'll see. If who knows what we'll up. talk about. Right. Who, who knows? Run out I mean, of things. Yeah. After we see it, who knows if it is or it isn't because nobody can decide. Yeah, what hopefully it is. I can tell everyone about the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. I'm going to watch today. Oh, are you really? Yeah, I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> Aren't there a couple of those? Uh, there might be a Two sequel. Versions. Yeah. Well, yes. The, yes. There is an original Swedish version of okay. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And then I think they made a sequel, but David Fincher did. I'm just going through the David Fincher movies. Right. But David Fincher did not have anything to do with uh, the the roommate with the butterfly tattoo. I don't know what right, it's called. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what was. I was literally going to make that joke. That's yeah, perfect. Baby. Yeah. He did it. Uh, so cool. So join us next week for Night of the Comic. Please check out our website, Slumber Podcast Master. Kurt.com. Check, uh, send us an email, slumberpodcast at gmail.com. Check out all of our massively popular uh, social media. Huge thanks to our patrons. You help make this show possible. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Uh, and keep those requests coming because we you we get to them eventually. Before two, Within 200 episodes, we yes. will get to your request. <laughs> uh, so yeah, next week, Night of the Comet. Tim, do you got anything else to say about the sixth sense? Just that like, uh, and I love cheese like a lot of people do. Maybe that's just like a nickname for like a cheese connoisseur, like a cheese dick, like a cheese, like a, like a oh, food cheese snob. Dick. Yeah. Cheese what dick. A cheese dick. It, but it's just more specific. Yeah. <laughs> He's a cheese dick. It's stinky. <laughs>